Hello and welcome to the OMG Movie Podcast, where your MGs, Mike and Math, review movies, discuss and debate their best individual components, and pit movies against each other to determine which movie earns the right to be crowned the overall most great movie. As always, the OMG Movie Podcast contains spoilers, opinions, and mispronunciations. Please listen accordingly. On today's episode, the MGs review the number 10 seed in the 2000s bracket, Castaway. Join us as we call fouls, propose rewrites, discuss our overall grades, and nominate candidates for the sizzle reel, posterizer, MVP, and sixth man. To start, let's begin with a review of the plot and cast of Castaway in our game plan section. A man is marooned on an island after his plane crashes in the ocean. Far away from his home, his girlfriend, and any human contact, he engages in a battle of wits with himself as he is tested mentally, physically, and emotionally in order to survive. Featuring Tom Hanks as Chuck Noland, Helen Hunt as Kelly Frears, Nick Searcy as Stan, Chris Noth as Jerry Lovett, Laurie White as Bettina Peterson, Vince Martin as Pilot Al, Michael Forrest as Pilot Jack, and Jay Acaphone as Pilot Peter. And now, the first quarter game plan. In 1995, Chuck Noland, a time-obsessed systems analyst, travels the world resolving productivity problems for FedEx. He is in a long-term relationship with Kelly Frears, with whom he lives in Memphis, Tennessee. Chuck's busy schedule often interferes with their relationship. During the family Christmas dinner, Chuck is summoned to resolve a work problem in Malaysia. Flying through a violent storm, his FedEx cargo plane crashes into the Pacific Ocean. Chuck escapes with an inflatable life raft. However, the raft's emergency locator transmitter is ripped off. The next day, Chuck and his damaged raft washes up on an uncharted and uninhabited island. And now, on to our first quarter discussion. All right, the first quarter of game tape is in the books. We are, we're starting. We're at the we're at the island. I mean, yeah. we're we're we've finished the exposition stage, and um, you know it had its highs, it had its lows. Um, let's get started with some of the discussion around Hanks's relationship with Helen Hunt and their extended family. Cause that, that's really where this, this opening patch of the movie is really concerned about is giving us an idea of who Hanks is and what his family dynamics like, where his priorities are at, where stage of the relationship he's in, all those good things come in uh, pretty heavy up front. What do you, what do you, what's your take on him? 
Yeah, I, I think that's that's probably the first like real scene that I think I, I have some like actual thoughts around. I will say, though, it's not a great point in the movie's favor that it takes us, what, a good 12 to 15 minutes to actually get to that place oh, in the yeah. movie. Like, I, I don't want to call a foul on the opening because it, like, <laughs> it is what it is. But that was so long when we're like watching the FedEx truck move around like these different areas. It felt like I was watching an ad for FedEx 100 percent. Yeah, because it, it wasn't even just the delivery. Like we actually saw them talk to people that they're delivering to for yeah. five minutes before Hanks gets on the screen. Like for what? For why? Do we? Yeah. Uh, is is does Zemeckis doesn't think that we understand what the postal service does? Is that? It doesn't feel like it. It, fe- it felt like people don't understand the magic of the mail. <laughs> like let's show them the grittiness of getting these packages there on time. How important? Isn't even like. It was hectic packages that were being delivered, but it felt a little bit like we're seeing the logistical aspect of FedEx happening mm-hmm. up front to give us an idea of all the things that Randy or Tom Hanks is responsible for, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like we're getting an idea of the pressures of his job, especially accentuated in the seen in the Russian factory or warehouse or wherever mm-hmm. he's giving that like motivational Friday night light speech to those people. Yeah. Which I, I, my thought there was, could we, could we schedule a better time to have the pep talk about the importance of time when we don't have a running <laughs> clock countdown going down? Like, well, and like the, the time spent on the demonstration, uh, the demonstration of like opening the box, taking out the timer, showing, which was a pretty cool, that was cool. Like in terms of being like a training element of shipping your own clock and then shipping it and seeing how long it takes to get there. Mm-hmm. Probably not the most efficient way of tracking shipping times, but like that, it's a cool like symbolic way of representing it. I guess that was pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then that, that, that brings us to what, one of my, one of my interesting questions that I would have on this one is how long do you think a FedEx truck has to be parked illegally before it gets clamped in Russia? Oh, that's a good one. I don't know. And especially like, when it's like <laughs> the federal express, you don't expect yeah. that to be a huge, <laughs> huge, like worldwide. You can get leniency delivering mail cause you're respected. <laughs> I don't know. It seemed a lot of, like as much as I now know about the postal service from this like first part of this movie, I don't know enough. <laughs> it piqued my interest, but didn't it really give me enough to feel like I know what I'm talking about. Is that and, like, what was it? 86 hours, 83, something, something within like the five day range of getting a package. Pretty strong. It like, seems great to get it from the U S <laughs> to Russia in prime holiday season. Right? You should be like patted on the back with that kind of performance. And it really seemed like he was pissed, pissed yeah. about it. Yeah. Oh, and it's chubby Hanks. We should definitely talk about chubby Hanks. Oh, chubby Hanks. Cause my God, do I love a chubby Hanks? I mean, there's not, yeah. there's not a more fatherly figure in the world than a 30 to 40 pound overweight Tom Hanks. Yeah. And that's the sad part is he is overweight from where I know we're going to get later on when he's been on the Island forever long. Yeah. Uh, but this makes me sad as a man to think of that's Tom Hanks as 30 or 40 pounds overweight. Cause I'm like, Oh, if only I could be. <laughs> at Tom- <laughs> I, I envy the chubby Hanks. That's the look I'm going for every day. Chubby Hanks is my well, spirit animal. <laughs> I would say chubby Hanks has some tough style with like the Ooh. sweat. And it was, it was Christmas attire for the majority of the, mm-hmm. of these scenes in the first quarter. So he's wearing a lot of sweater vests and vests, yeah. and it's not a great, it's not a good look for a chubby man in general. 
but it wasn't a good Hanks look. It, it definitely <laughs> does not does not make the iconic list the wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, and and this is you know so getting to your point around the uh, the the family relationship between Chuck and uh, and Kelly. So a few things. Before we get to that, there's the scene on the airplane where they're returning from Russia. And this might, to me, be the most awkward conversation that I've seen filmed between people who are supposed to be friends. Like, I legit, at a moment, thought, did Tom Hanks sleep with his buddy's wife? And that's why he's, like, looking so weird when they're talking about his wife having cancer? What is going on? Well, it was such a weird way of bringing it up. Like, they were celebrating. And they bring out wine. It's the first, I, I, for, I don't recall, I still don't, I'm not 100% sure. I know that we're talking about football later on in this in this movie. And we're talking about the 2000 Super Bowl. So I'm assuming, I, well, I don't know what year it is, is my point. Like, I don't know where we are in time uh, on, on the plane and getting home. But they do make a reference, and I'm bringing it up because they make, they're celebrating, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're leaving Russia, and they're, they're happy about whatever progress they've made. And they bring out a bottle of wine, and he dates it. He says it's a 92. Oh. So I don't know if that's the general year range we're in or thereabouts, but they're celebrating. They bring out the wine. And then the hostess slash pilot, maybe, the girl comes up and is like, oh, I'm sorry to hear about your wife. Mm-hmm. And then they talk about his wife having cancer. And it was, like you were mentioning, completely out of nowhere. <laughs> and it took the mood like straight to the, I'm like, what's going yeah. on? Like, what is the untold story here? Like, did, <laughs> is she get it from working at FedEx? Is there like some asbestos like being transported? Like, what is the backstory? Because it seems dark. Yeah. It's then- like something dark <laughs> is happening. And then Hank's like, offers to help get him connected with a doctor uh it it felt like this was the beginning to a completely different kind of movie um i will say one thing i did enjoy though was they did i don't even think they were really going for it like they weren't really purposely trying to throw in a lot of tension on that first flight home but i for me i was like are we like, is this the plane crash right here, right now? Like there especially, you know, going into it the first time when you know, there's going to be a, a plane yeah. crash the first time I'm like, Oh man, we, we are 10 minutes in and we get in plane crash already. And yeah, nope. little fake out for me, but yeah, ex- especially, I mean, there's not any, any sort of Helen Hunt aspect that early. So I did anticipate them being fine. And d- during the initial plane flight, but they do do it. Uh, they do an excellent job building the tension from that first plane flame plane flight back home. Mm-hmm. And they carry that tension very nicely into the second plane flight, which we'll get to at the, really the end of this quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get to that, we do need to dive into the romantic relationship between Hanks and, and, say so. and Helen Hunt, who's Kelly Frears in this movie. I don't, I, Frears is tough for me to really say. <laughs> I don't really know why. If you're going to make a fictionalized person's name, Stick with like, I want it to ra- I want it to have a great, a great like, rhythmic pronunciation, something memorable. Like Kelly Frears is like, ah, all right. I guess she's just like a girl from Tennessee, but it wow. seemed Ta- taking like a her mis- parents out. to task. I'm just saying. I mean, you can't really pick your last name, but just like have something memorable because I'm going to be calling her Helen Hunt all day, and that's yeah, like I don't Tawny Free- that. Frears. Would that have helped you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, first name. Sure. Something that's like different enough from the character that it makes me think of it. And the same thing with Chuck, Chuck Noland. 
Yeah. Tom Hanks is not a Chuck. He doesn't look like they a Chuck. would have gone like John or he's like an American basic name, like a Paul. Yeah. Or, even Charles. You know, I would have he's or Charles, his name actually yeah. Charles. Like Chuck yeah. is I just don't imagine Tom Hanks as yeah. Chuck. I didn't buy hair, it. I didn't buy it when they first met I just never thought of it. Especially because you're not really getting many people saying his name throughout mm-hmm. the course of this like movie. So it's very easy easy to forget what his name really is. And Chuck is again, it's a C C name. Give me a better name. It's something I can remember. Even if it's like Hank or something hard. <laughs> I'm not too close to Hank's, but like, give me something that's like, eh. I mean, Hank Nolan, that's a whole different movie. If you're watching the Castaway movie about Hank Nolan. Yeah. Sounds like a, like a PI. <laughs> anyway. So the, the first time we see those two interact, it's a really, I thought a really touching first, like them both on the screen together where she's, I guess teaching and she's printing stuff or she's doing something related to having to print a shitload of papers. She's in like a coffee room. This is where we get to one of my first larger questions is what are the ages of these two questions? Because she is printing out her dissertation, a dissertation, meaning that she's in master's school, you know? So I would, (laughs) I assume somewhere between the ages of 25 and 28. Oh no, she's older than that. But that's, I mean, like maybe she's going to get her master's later in life, but that that is, I mean, maybe up to 30 is usually when most people, if they're going to get their master's, tend to do it. I mean, I and, don't know. I don't think you got to put a put a, that tight of a box around getting your master's. I mean, she's not getting her like general studies degree here. Okay, I think so you can pursue that later in life. Where where do you think they are? Because to me, this is a good 10-year age difference is what I'm envisioning really? between these two. Yeah. I was but, thinking, I mean, like Hank's in this is probably... 40s like 40 early 40s how old is he now uh, like his 60s is he 60 he's, i feel he's like he's got to be in his 60s now or like yeah. late 50s well he's got to be inching the 40 range i'd say maybe there's a five-year difference and like the aesthetic look of the age i think she looks maybe five years younger so i could see this being like she's in her mid-30s and he's kind of in the back half of his 30s to 40s he's okay. in like a pretty professional field i'd imagine he's worked his way up the fedex ranks yeah so he's taking some time and it seems like, I mean, I don't really know what a, what a FedEx analyst pays, but I mean, uh, the amount of work you have to do to be in yeah. that role, it's gotta be in like several hundred thousand range. I, I would hope, I would I mean, I would hope even back then in the you know late mid nineties or whatever, this is supposed to be taking place. I'm hoping he's making six figures at least with this uh, travel to. and we responsibility. It's the middle of the holidays and he's getting like a, a, call the middle of dinner which we're skipping ahead of but anyway this this mm-hmm. job is very demanding this is like he's you are a surgeon who's on call to save lives and whenever this buzzer goes off mm-hmm. like you're fucking doing it because you get paid a shitload yep. of money it's like the vibe i get from <laughs> from fedex is there are no business there are there are no no holds bar type of corporate structure you get shit done or you're out yeah yeah. But, so, yeah. So then they break out their individual planners and they start, you know, this to me felt like one of the probably the most real portions of their relationship was the two of them opening up their calendars and trying to figure out when they could actually work together. Yeah, I did you know, like Candy come back for New Year's. That to me was the the part where I really felt, all right, these have a, there is a warm relationship between these two. Yeah. They actually care about each other. And so much of that comes down to just these two actors uh, chemistry. Like yeah. they, they work well together. Cause honestly, the next scene of them and I'll, I'll pause and let me, I'll see if you have any thoughts before I give you mine, which is the driving to the air airplane 
and exchanging of gifts. Uh, any any thoughts well, on that scene? Well, there's a or couple things else? you're skipping over I want to sure. get into. So there's the the thing I like about their initial time on screen together is you get a sense that this is not like a a new relationship. Even though they're not married yet, this it seems like two people that are very comfortable with each other. They're in like a deeper stage of the relationship where they they have this like unspoken love for one another and you can mm. you can see like when they're when she's printing stuff up and she and he is like sneaks up behind her and they like rhythmically dance to mm-hmm. the sound of the copier like all those types of, it's felt very um familiar it's like the type of mm-hmm. love that you would see day to day with a couple that truly did love each other it's not like your typical movie romance where they're you know, having passionate makeout sessions every time they're on screen or professing their love or holding hands. And just, it felt like a mature depiction of yeah. what a relationship is like. And, I, oh, yeah. and it wasn't very long. It was maybe their scenes together or what, maybe like maybe five to eight minutes together throughout all this. And you really get a sense that this is not a new relationship. It's one that feels like it's a part of their lives are ingrained with each other. Yeah. You know, and, much much love to both tom hanks and helen hunt but neither one of those two actors are someone i'm going to to see the hot passionate side of a relationship so (laughs) so i'm not looking for them to like start getting down in the coffee machine to show me that they're that they have passion and love which i appreciate the restraint there because (laughs) they could have easily painted the picture of like he hasn't been home in a long time he hasn't seen her and he's horny and he's like the second he sees her he's like grinding her like like showing how lusty he is for her. And they, they could have taken a different angle to that completely. And yeah. I appreciate the route they took, which is much more tasteful. And it gave me a better sense of what the relationship is realistically like mm-hmm. than him just them trying to show he's not home very often. And when he is, he just wants to get a piece of that. You know what I'm saying? Although he did make a little, I'm going to get a piece of that joke when he was calling her and leaving a message. He was like, hey, I'm going to be home tonight. You know what that means. Exactly. Yeah, they could have leaned into that aspect of it and that have been more, the stronger takeaway is that he's horned mm-hmm. up and like, isn't home very often. So when he is, he expects it, which sets a completely different kind of tone than what they <laughs> did. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, but then we, we kind of go into them meeting the extended family for the holiday scene, which that was probably the biggest miss of the of the first quarter for me was mm-hmm. that whole dynamic and that type of cinematic movie depiction of what it's like to eat at a holiday dinner. We have this like mm-hmm. long table and everyone's passing around different mm-hmm. plates and talking loudly and in, in everybody's conversation. It just felt like too much going on. I wanted to know more about that Hanks and Hunt relationship, which mm-hmm. they get to a little bit with him having the buzzer go off and them talking mm-hmm. about kids and not being married and that being a running joke, all yep. that kind of stuff was nice. I wish it was more about those things than it was about the giantness of the family kind of mocking the stage of the relationship that they're in. Yeah. Now I, I have a question because we, we both come from you know a very small kind of nuclear family where the idea of having this kind of a Christmas dinner was a little bit foreign for, for most of our growing up. And since I have now married into a, a larger family uh-huh. and I will say my experience of these kinds of large dinners is nothing like this. I don't I, think I, it I, ever is. This is like movie <laughs> depiction of happy family stuff. Like this just yeah. doesn't happen. No one's dressing up to the nines at their home dinner and having these massive plates and this 
25 foot long table. Like who has that? Are we talking about like white privilege 101? Like where is this place? Yeah. You have to eat in shifts because there's not enough tables or chairs typically if there's a family that large. And (laughs) (laughs) when we had like the nineties kid, and I'm not sure if you were paying too much attention to the rest of the family in that scene, but like there was one maybe mid twenties kid there wearing this button down shirt that looks so 90s I'm, like, I'm glad they included that kid because clearly he's not into this formal setting that felt nice it felt like a, not, like a, like a dash of realism in there nope nope didn't didn't see that one so good eye good eye but at that dinner so this is kind of what sets the plot up a little bit he has mm-hmm. he gets called by whoever is his boss with FedEx saying that there's an issue in Malaysia mm-hmm and that he's going to have to go immediately to Malaysia and fix this. Yep. And he's hoping he's going to be back by New Year's. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what they're talking about as they leave the party and now they're driving to the FedEx airport for him to leave. And that that's kind of where we get back to what you're talking about with their their conversation in the car exchanging gifts. Yeah. And to me this entire sequence felt really awkward. Like, again, it felt like we should have known more of the backstory to understand the reactions that each of them was having to their things. Because, yeah. like, number one, my one of the questions I would love to, like, get people's, like, actual thoughts are is, would Kelly have been better off if he never turned back and gave her the engagement ring? You know, he he mysteriously, you know, goes in the car, you know, the car crash, the plane crash. Right. Is it a is it a bigger thing for her to know that he was going to engage, going to propose to her or essentially did versus never knowing if he was going to like what would be easier to, you know, to find that that, you know, that ending to a relationship and or ending to it. But like, I don't know which one would would impact me more if it was someone I lost who I didn't know how they felt about me or if it was someone who I knew how they felt about me. We never actually got a chance to to go through with it. So I don't know your your thoughts. Well, this was one of the stranger decisions that they made. (laughs) It was it's strange because I think. This is a device to tell the audience, us, me and you, mm-hmm. that Hanks is finally willing, or at least saying he's willing to commit to being a married person and commit to that life and taking the relationship as a higher priority than his job. But he's not at that point now where he's willing to propose and say, screw Malaysia. I'm in it with you. And there's, it's kind of like he's in an in-between, right? He wants both. He wants to get married. He's clearly ready to make that step. He gives her the box that we're not a hundred percent sure is an engagement ring, but like hundred percent is an engagement ring. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. It just felt like that would have to me said more. If we get, instead of that dinner party, we get him actually proposing to her Mm -hmm. and her saying, I only want to do this. If you're ready to be a family man, like you're ready to actually do this. Yeah. And then we get some tension. He's like, well, I am, but I still need to do this. Like how do you expect me to make money? Like time is, is important. We need to make sure that we have everything mm-hmm. we need to do it properly. Like, if that was more of a source of conflict, that to me would have been a better way of segueing into him prioritizing work over her. 
Because it kind of felt I, like you can't have them both. You can't be like, yeah, I want to be married and I'm a, and I'm ready for that. And also now I'm going to leave. And that's kind of leaves that up into interpretation as to why it was even done there. Yeah. And obviously we, you know, we're now going to pick up after we, after we finish up with him on the Island and obviously he, you know, she, he now has the, the watch with her face in it. So I think that's probably going to be something that, you know, that'll be the way for him to remember her, but a few, yeah, a few things like the number one, there wasn't any conflict or anything where he, you know, in my view where he had, he did something where he should be remorseful for like, trying to not necessarily seek forgiveness, but like atoning for kind of quote unquote yeah. on the Island. Right. It just felt like none of that had to have happened. They could have already been married. They could have already been yeah. engaged. Like, like nothing about that specific thing felt like it was earned yeah. or to the point where if it does come back later on when he's on the Island, it, to me, it doesn't have the emotional heft because honestly her reaction is, is almost like she's saying no, like, when she gets well, it, like, she's like, uh, what? Like, I don't know if I'm ready yeah. for this. I'm like, I like where your head's at. Cause I think that that's probably what is being unsaid is that both of them have busy schedules. Maybe they're not ready to commit, you know, full on to a relationship, but none of that is ever verbalized at all. And so to me, it just well, less really even insinuated that like, definitely yeah. them having big like, schedule conflicts is, mm-hmm. and that's clearly a source of, tension between the two of them because like hun is not into this like she definitely wants him to stay and she wants them there new year's and you can't give her that guarantee that stuff all makes sense i just wish that was more of why this marriage stuff was being brought up mm-hmm. rather than just like a device to saying that he's ready to commit no if, if only he was able to come right back his life would have mm-hmm. been perfect which is seeming like that was insinuating was him leaving we don't really know that that's him saying that he's not ready to get married. It's more like, I'm going to get this done, come back. And then I'm ready. It's, it's like yeah. what it sounded like. And it's doesn't really mesh with the idea that he's going to this Island and having to experience these, these traumatic events and like work through mm. all of his own issues so he can come back ready and understanding like what's important in life. And just yeah. like the setup, like you didn't put the ball quite center on the T, so You can't really smack it too far. Now you, it was kind of misaligned and fallen off. So now you have a, a difficult way of hitting this out of the park. Yeah. It, it, it had this setup of like the vibe of the, I have one last score I need to do, but like <laughs> not, but not at all. That's what this is, but it did yeah. feel like her reaction, the way that, you know, the, with the proposal and like the immediate, I got, I got called for other work. Like it felt a little more like, all right, honey, I just got this one last job and then yeah. we're all set. But like, that's, that's not, even that wasn't said. Like there was no real build up to it other than she didn't want him to go. And he was saying, I, I need to go. And, yeah, we didn't get much of the, the rationale on his side, other than like, of course, I'm going to do it. I need to. It's my job. Um, but one one thing we kind of glossed over is that he bought her for Christmas a beeper or a pager. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which that's the most like early thousands nineties gift you can give anybody. The relevance of pagers <laughs> in this movie, I'm sure, is an all time high. A lot of pager <laughs> references early on, and but, a yeah, journal. She may or may not have liked. I, again, that's the kind of acting where I'm like, I don't know if you're honestly trying to be sarcastic, <laughs> if you're trying to show that you actually like this. Like, that is the kind of acting where I'm like, I hope you were going for. I have no idea what you were going for because you nailed it. Yeah. It was a reason to, for her to give him the clock, which yeah. obviously is going to play a role in the rest of this movie or the the watch. But other than that, establishing that he's ready to to get married to her, it's not really doing a whole lot to get me invested into either of their characters is just kind of a way of getting him now onto the plane 
which I, I, I would have loved if instead of a watch, if it was an actual clock, like a, like that, uh, what's what's his name from uh, Flavor Flav? Where's Flavor Flav? Yeah. Has just a big old <laughs> clock watch. Sure. I mean, it wouldn't have felt out of place. <laughs> So now we go uh, so, to the yeah yeah go we, we we go to the plane and saying it now nomination this is a sizzle reel nomination from math count it now great great plane crash this is I don't know how I forgot the scene I had no recollection of this scene that was what I'm thinking of things going not just just planes in general where mm-hmm. there's like a catastrophic issue happening mm-hmm. and we're experiencing it through the characters Mm -hmm. and hanks is brilliant in this scene there's not many words being spoken other than the one of the pilots who's kind of trying to help hanks Mm. like strap in and prepare and and get his raft and stuff ready so expertly done it's filmed amazing there's so much tension it this is an easy candidate for scissor and it might be super hard to beat so good Yes, absolutely. Second, the nomination for Sizzle Reel. Uh, you said a lot of really good points. I, I think that yeah, the thing you you mentioned that I really really loved about it is was was the way that the tension was handled. Because at this mm-hmm. point, again, it, it it should come as no shock to anybody going into this movie that there is going to be a plane crash, right? So we already have the oh he was on a plane once and nothing happened. We're spending a lot of time on this plane. This is probably it. And like just mm-hmm. not, not necessarily misdirects, but like oh he's gonna go to the the laboratory is is something going to happen in there oh he's he's now he's all buckled in oh no he needs to unbuckle himself like the watch falls out yeah yeah all of those little things and oh the 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 pilot who helps him like i don't know if there's a more helpful side character character in any in anything that guy saves hank's life at least three times and then hank's gets up again and the guy tries to rein him back in so he gets out of his seat and then that's Mm -hmm. right when like an altitude spike happens and he knocks himself out on the roof so much tragically oh man it was just it just felt so real so Mm -hmm. grounded everything you know, it, yeah. it, there's and especially when you're relaying on the drama coming from the ways the characters are handling what's happening. All of mm-hmm. them were panicked. They were not necessarily like going nuts with panic. They seemed like they were un, like they, they were people who knew how to handle the situation. It wasn't like a bunch of bad pilots getting us into this issue. It, it just felt mm-hmm. so well reasoned other than him, him having to fly overnight to Malaysia to deal with the yeah. analytic issue. Like that's that important. You have mm-hmm. to fly through a storm other than those types of like really maybe undertone fouls. The scene is perfect. It's it, it, I extend this scene all the way from when he gets onto the plane to when it starts to crash and he has to get out of, uh, get out of the like, underwater, like when they hit the the water mm-hmm. and he's he's sinking and he has to grab his life raft and the mm-hmm. the tracking part of the life raft gets caught on the plane. He has to tug it and ends up ripping it apart. Like all of it, you're getting so much exposition done during it. Like you're setting up where they're going, how far off course they are, him getting the mm-hmm. stuff he's going to have with him, the FedEx boxes in the back being loosened and also going to crash with them. Like all those mm-hmm. things are being set up over the course of four or five minutes. And it's just such a good tone setter to where we're going to go in the second quarter that it can, it can't be left off. This is a real list. Yeah. And this is one I will have both a very positive and negative comment to talk about the direction of this scene. First, I thought it was a very interesting choice to have this be almost in complete darkness. 
And mm-hmm. I think it pays off in a, in a few ways. Like, again, when I was talking about during the bonus episode, we were, we were going over like how there's going to be some images that I think are very, you know, very, very iconic from this movie. And the one where Hanks basically says like, you know, he actually says like brace for impact because he's the only one that can like see out the window and see that. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, the waves are like right there. Like again, very visceral when, when that's happening. The negative side is, for whatever reason, this to me is where Zemeckis like he takes that five minute uh, time pr- time period at the very beginning where he's showing a package getting delivered. This starts, I think, where he just really likes to linger on things. Like it felt like we were on Hanks just hanging out in that raft for a good minute for no reason. Like no- nothing new is happening. Is just look how big the waves yeah, it was, are it was establishing shots it yeah well, once he gets onto the island yeah. which this is where we're, this is the last basically last screen before we get yeah. to the second quarter which we're going to talk about is hanks on his life raft which is already kind of deflating as he's mm-hmm. floating and being carried back onto the shore and then you have that scene where he wakes up the next day and he's mm-hmm. like just on there as a tide comes in and out and he's slowly yep. realizing where he is it's i thought a successful scene and in, in showing the breath of isolation that he's going to be dealing Mm -hmm. with. I mean, there's nothing around him and it's utter silence and he's kind of figuring out all that at the same time as we are. And I didn't have any issues with it, but I'd I'd see what you're saying. It was a long establishing shot and there's a lot of those uh, in the first quarter. So it's probably a sign of things to come when we get a year (laughs) into the further, uh, the further um, aspects or further parts of the movie for sure. Yeah. Um, just trying to think here. My notes. Yeah, Chuck most likely killed the pilot. Yep, I have that as, as my note. <laughs> that's gonna be hard. That's gonna be hard to hard to deal with when you're left on an island. It's nothing with your thoughts. That's gonna come up a couple of times. I'm sure. Like, Should I, I, I have did. grabbed that watch off the ground, or potentially could have had someone here to rescue me? Right. Um, other thing, I I guess I did not put it together that what fell off the the raft when he was you know under and it, and it was stuck on the plane. I thought that was like hunting gear, like a spear rifle or something. I didn't. Oh know no, that yeah, that's a tracking device. Okay, yeah. but then if it is like I, I I guess again I don't know enough about transponders and, and black boxes to not to know why why couldn't they still see it. Like, I think so, it's probably because it's know. at the bottom of the ocean or something. Like it, guess, it sank yeah. with the plane. Um, I don't know. I don't really know if those that matters if they can still get it when it's <laughs> yards below the ocean. I don't. I don't really know any of that works, but it was successful in making me think. Okay, yeah, they can't find him. Feels. It feels um, like if you're making a black box that you're hoping to survive airplane crashes, you might want to make something that could, you know, signal out miles underwater because that's probably where it's going to happen. But hey, again, not an engineer. <laughs> you're not an engineer, and this is this is not an engineer-based podcast, not a math-based podcast, not a grammar podcast. So I mean, we're making sure we're checking all the boxes of things that we're not qualified to talk about. And that's definitely one of them. Well, I think um, one of the things we, we are, Oh, good. Uh, I was going to say, before we leave the first quarter, I do have a posterizer to bring up as Ooh, a potential. Okay. I'm not okay. sure if you had this on your list, um, but I, this is a time movie, right? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So we got early on, we live, but we live and we die by the clock. That's all we have. Yes. And yet we will not commit the sin of turning our back on the clock. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's definitely one I had. Yeah. Yep. So that's gonna be that's gonna be a nomination at least from the first quarter. Not not a heavy nomination quarter here. We just have two. It sounds like we have one from Scissor Reel, one from Posterizer. Um, I I think it's fair to say the rest of the scenes are 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 fine, but I wouldn't sure. I wouldn't highlight them as you got to check it out. Agreed. Agreed. 
Good. Okay. Well, um, that wraps up our, the first quarter discussion. Let's go ahead and move on. The OMG Movie Podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Looking for a job that combines the on-call hectic schedule of a doctor with the respect designated for a postman? Apply now for FedEx analyst positions where you can see the world and rack up frequent flyer miles that don't expire for four years. Worried that you aren't able to get your message across as intended? Feeling like someone else is saying the same thing you are but getting all the credit? Hi, I'm Mike from the OMG Podcast. You know, the one you're listening to right now. And if you are anything like me, you hate when you don't feel listened to. That is why I am a proud supporter of Rosetta Translation Services. Don't bother trying to learn a new language, or even worse, hiring a translator just to talk over you and get all the attention. Simply say your phrase into our app, and it translates the gist of your message into just under a dozen languages. Rosetta Translation Services, because it's not like what you're saying is going on stone. And now, for the second quarter game plan. Several FedEx packages from the crashed plane also wash up on shore, as well as the corpse of a flight crewman, whom Chuck buries. He tries signaling a passing ship and makes an unsuccessful attempt to launch the damaged life raft, but the incoming surf is too strong, tossing Chuck onto a coral reef and injuring his leg. He is able to find sufficient food, water, and shelter. He then opens the FedEx packages, finding a number of potentially useful items. He leaves one package, with a pair of wings painted on it, unopened. While attempting to build a fire, Chuck cuts his hand. In anger, he throws several objects from the packages, including a Wilson Sporting Goods volleyball, leaving a bloody handprint on it. He then draws a face into the smeared blood and names the ball Wilson. He regularly talks to Wilson. And now, on to our second quarter discussion. Also known as the beginning of the... All right. We are at the halfway point. We are, we are living on the island for some, good, for some good bit of screen time here. We've seen some traumatic experiences. I'll, I'll put it mildly. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. going to start... Instead of a foul count, which we may not get too many fouls here, I might start an ouchie count <laughs> on the amount of just times Tom Hanks injures himself in totally like understandable and frightening ways. <laughs> There's a lot this of just is, like household injuries going on here, and it's disturbing. Yeah, this is like as close as Tom Hanks is going to get to like Passion of the Christ in terms of like doing damage <laughs> to himself or being hurt and on on screen. It's, yeah, the type of injuries are just like, you could easily, you know the level of pain. This is like, mm. a lot of times when people show injuries, like getting a foot chopped off or mm-hmm. like getting stabbed, like I don't really know how bad that hurts, but yeah, tooth injuries, I'm aware of how bad that hurts and like stepping on shit with your bare feet, like sand everywhere. Like, yeah, this is miserable and they do a great, I can say early <laughs> on. They're knocking the inconveniences of being stuck on an island without shit. They're hitting. They're hitting how bad that that sucks, and they're hitting it home pretty well. 
Yeah, you know, and th- this again is where I will say that the movie I think does a good job of trying to set up thir- certain things, right? So, you know, we had we had kind of seen in the dinner scene uh, him making a mention of needing to get his tooth fixed, right, or having tooth pain yeah. um, in the first quarter, and so now it's you know you start like, oh yeah, that that they're is really hammering that you know, home. Yeah, they're bringing that yeah. up a few times. <laughs> um but that and like you know again just like the immediate like kind of the head you know head shoulders knees toes of of your own self after that plane crash and oh i don't have shoes how is that going to impact me as i as i walk around the island like this this portion of the movie is how i is what i basically think of is the how would you survive on a on on an island is is this section of Mm -hmm. the film and it loses a little bit when for me, my initial answer is, I don't know. I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, yeah. Well, for me, it's like, I would just hope I had a quick death in the plane. Yeah. yeah. That's my, I wish if I'm ever in this situation, I don't want to test mm-hmm. my survival no, skills because that's, that's going to be dying slowly. Yeah. So maybe not that slowly, pretty quickly, but painfully. And I don't want that to happen. Yeah, it would definitely be infection, most likely. I don't know how. Like again, we don't show any uh, antibiotics or anything that that Hanks has to survive. Like most likely, a pretty uh, messed up leg after the coral fall, and then like. Okay, so yeah, so we have a we have a we'll go through the ouchie counters as they're happening just to get all the all the times we have injuries noted onto a board somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so the second quarter opens with. Hank's alone on this island and he's been mm-hmm. washed up along with what we're seeing in the background and, and some in the foreground of these packages yeah. that are also floating ashore. And um, before really, there's no dialogue. I will say maybe there's no. five or six times he talks in this quarter, maybe yeah. less. Like there's very, yeah. very few moments of dialogue. Movie. And for as much as that's not necessarily my cup of tea, like having to interpret things myself as I'm watching mm-hmm. it. Cause I, I enjoy hearing the character's progression and like what they're thinking. Cause I'm watching them, not me. Yeah. Um, but there it's done in a very artful way. And Hanks is such a great actor that he's able to impart a lot of his character's personality Mm-hmm. just through his reactions to various things he's attempting to do. And you can see it early on when he's walking across the shore, picking up the boxes, like scanning the area, like it looks like he's basically having a PTSD moment mm-hmm. where he's kind of not himself. He looks shell shocked. He's just kind of reflexive, like re- reflexively picking these things up and putting them away from the water. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very well done. It definitely did a good job of, of opening his time on the island for me. It made a, a, a good connection to him just being out of his element immediately and, and being in a, in a really bad space mentally and physically. Yeah. This, this to me was a, was a really good way of thinking about, you know, the, that common phrase of like, Oh, I could watch someone just read the phone book for two hours. This 30 minute segment felt like everyone in the nineties was like, I could just watch Tom Hanks do nothing for 30 minutes and be entertained. And well, not wrong. That's, that's, Let's put that to the <laughs> test on this one right here. You get Tom Hanks and nothing but Tom Hanks for half hour. And damned if he doesn't make, you know, a battle with a coconut interesting. Yeah. And there's a lot of those things that just come up very naturally. And I like that he's not making like a checklist of I need to find water. I need mm-hmm. to find food. And like you're he's like making it very clear his plan of action. He's so unprepared in the beginning that a lot of these things come up as a matter of kind of happenstance 
Like mm-hmm. when you when he hears the coconuts falling down mm-hmm. in the background, he's oh yeah, coconuts they have water, and he tries to open them and he throws it against a rock and it doesn't work, and he ends up breaking a smaller rock with a coconut mm-hmm. that turns it into a blade. It's like oh, I can use a blade, and it starts using that to cut. It's just very, very well done in terms of the progression of him learning how to survive. They show in a very realistic way that doesn't feel like we're going through a montage of him becoming a wilderness survivor. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Yeah. This is where, this is where we all collectively understand that we as humans owe owe a great amount of our society to coconuts because apparently coconuts help lead you to every tool you can think of. (laughs) And there must be, there must be, they don't show that many coconut trees in the area that he's at, but there must be a super abundance of coconuts because that's all there is. He's not making pure water. He's not boiling. Water. I guess it rains a lot and they do yeah. show that. I guess that's probably an easier way of getting hydrated than coconuts. But it, it, regardless, coconuts play a heavy role early on. There's a lot of co- coconut montaging. There's a lot of fire montaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get into a couple ouchy scenarios here. Yes. With the fire. Well, well I think before we get to the fire, there's a, there are a few things. So number one, you know, we talk about those iconic images the, when he ends up first climbing on the top of the mountain, which again, I, I would never know I'm on an Island cause there's no way in the hell I'm climbing up that kind of mountain. <laughs> Give me four years. It's not going to happen. I will just stay on my little beach and go, I wonder if Hawaii is on the other side. I guess I'll never know. I'll sit here and uh, ponder life for the one week that I have until I run out of water. Pretty much. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that is such a great shot where you kind of like, again, you're, you're on Tom Hanks's shoulder. So you're kind of, you know, you're kind of seeing the world from his point of view and you just see like the waves crashing. So you can also see like how far he would need to get beyond the waves. Like that was just a very, very evocative thing where I'm like, Oh, if I was Tom Hanks in that moment, I'd be like, holy shit <laughs> there is no other <laughs> island nearby this is bad news things are not looking great for old chuck old chucky had a bad old day chuck truck is stuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we get that a uh, lot of a lot of good x's x's and o work here a lot of good scenic shots that that again put us in the character's perspective of just how isolated he is at this moment there's not much in terms of being able to rely on planes or boats in this area, it's super far away, and it's they do a good job of of giving us that sense of dread almost that mm-hmm. this is a hopeless situation. Like if he's going to get through this, it's going to be a long time of grunting, and and it's like being able to adapt to the situation he's now in. Yeah. And then we do see him doing that, right? Trying to adapt mm-hmm. and and slowly learn how to live here. One of the things I was I was really hoping for, and maybe you can fill me in more, is I have no idea what kind of time frame we're dealing with with any of these actions that he's doing. Like, how long does it take for to open up a coconut? I don't know because they keep flashing back and forth. How long does it take him to actually make the fire? It could have been one day. It could have been a week from like what we see of it. So like those kind of things constantly bugged me as I didn't like. Should he be doing other things? Because I'm not a survivalist. I don't know if he's missing anything that he should be doing. All I'm doing is guessing. Okay, I guess that must be the right thing. And when he fails, it's probably the wrong thing. But like, yeah. how long do you think he's on the island before he tries to make that first escape? Is that 
three days. You know, yeah, like, I, well, I don't know. You know, it, it, I think one part of that might be intentional. The lack of of time yeah. usage is because that is a point of the movie is like forgetting. Or not forgetting is like putting yourself in a time frame where you're not worried about the passage of time. You're worried about prioritizing the things that matter, in which we we get kind of an early working of that through his own psyche when he starts to just be anxious up front, trying to do so much in terms of immediately trying to escape when he's not ready, and he gets in mm-hmm. that raft, and he and he clearly has no idea what he's doing, and he gets mm-hmm. beaten up by the waves, and that's when we get. One of the first ouchies mm-hmm. where we get the he getting slashed on the thigh yeah, by the coral yeah. reefs at the bottom of like the coastal shore he's at, yep. which looks like a devastating injury. And it, yeah. it seems to take its toll <laughs> based off of <laughs> how much Hanks labors after that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so they, we, we get that. Like, like I was saying, we get that idea of him trying to get out quickly without taking his time to make sure he's able to survive here he's only thinking about getting back which makes sense it's early on yeah. and we, we kind of get the first of two scenes where it could we could have you know with one of my favorite podcasts likes to talk about the jacob's ladder scenario we got two <laughs> different times that tom hanks passes out at this point due to injuries where you could just say maybe he is fever dreaming the rest of this movie because after the coral reef he just passes away in the cave and okay cool he wakes up sure he does and then <laughs> Again, I'll skip ahead a little bit and talk about the the tooth extraction. He again. Oh God, no! We're, we're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to be more primed to get into that scene than just let's go quickly talk about one of the most devastating fil- scenes in cinema history. We're gonna leave that until the end of this. When I when I'm okay, in a, okay. when I'm in a better Deal. headspace, I'll put a but, put a pin in that one. Yeah, put a pin in that. Let's talk a little bit about the package situation we're dealing with. Okay. So we get. A decent amount of packages, which I'm pretty surprised on the amount mm-hmm. that finds its way to the island. But he Agreed. finds a good amount. From there, he he gets some useful stuff. He gets an, yep. an ice skate, which you know, foreshadowing on the ice skate a little bit, becomes impactful as a as a blade. <laughs> and then we get videotapes. Yep. Uh, and we get Wilson the volleyball. Mm-hmm. And not much else that's super useful in terms of what he gets from them, right? Well, am, am I missing anything that was major? Well, there's probably there's one other major thing because this is also kind of one of those like not intelligence t- tests, but one of those things where like, hey, here's ten items. What could you use these for if you think outside the box? Because then he also does get the um, was it like a a leather of uh, like bustier kind of thing that oh, has yeah. like mesh netting on it that we then later see him using as like a fishing device. Yeah, you know, to kind of again, Chuck is Chuck is smart. You know, you he is again, a smart. You, you want to root man. for him. You want him to succeed. So those kinds of things I think do go a long way of like, hey, he is you know being able to take a little bit of this on himself and make rational decisions and understand what could be helpful. So that that's nice, but that does lead us to what I think is kind of the, the Jack and Rose portion of, of this movie, which is, you know, why wouldn't uh, Jack get on the, uh, on the door at the end? Why is he leaving one package unopened? Uh, so let me, let me, let me get your thoughts first. Well, I think again, it's taking the postal service too seriously. <laughs> Where it's like, at first I'm thinking like, oh, he's using this as like a, I'm going to bring this back to where its intended recipient Mm -hmm. is or return it to sender or whatever. And that's 
obviously what I'm using is my, I'm going back home. Like obviously mm-hmm. I, if I was resigned to staying here, I would just open it and devour what's in the box and like, forget about it because I'm never going back. So it seemed like a device for him to be, I'm, I'm going to fulfill my, my duty as a postman <laughs> and return this. I'm like, <laughs> use another thing. Like I'm going to give this watch back to Helen Hunt yeah. or whatever like that to me or I'm going to tell her how much I love her. Like use that. Your only yeah. tie to home can be her and that's fine. You know, I don't need yeah. this box to also be, this is my duty as a FedEx agent <laughs> is to, to recover these packages, or at least the ones I can save because yeah. of the wings attached to them. Yeah. So and and he, an important yeah. package. Yeah. And, and this is where I get to probably my biggest, what I would consider potential rewrite for the movie. So I'll let you decide if you I, want wait, me to wait, throw before, it out now Before we get to wait. a rewrite, yeah. if this is rewrite yeah. territory, are we talking fouls? Uh, not necessarily fouls, just more of, I think that this movie could have been told in a better way where it would have been more engaging without, for me, this 30 minutes rewatching it was boring. Wow. It was it was fun the first time. We, I just want to see is the whistle going to get blown here? No, no, no. no I'm keeping no. the whistle pocketed. I'm keeping it pocketed when it comes wow. to uh, comes to that. I have a few later on that we'll talk about some fouls. Um, but no, I, I can't foul just because of a decision I don't like. I feel like it has to be a decision that even the person making the decision knew it was bad before I'm going to foul it. So just the way that they told it was not something I super enjoyed. I have some thoughts on maybe how it could have been done better. But okay. no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep that whistle down. The restraint's commendable. I appreciate it. Yeah, but what's the suggested rewrite here? So this for me is, again, because this is such a slow period, I want, I don't necessarily need narration. I think that's part of of the way that Zemeckis, Hanks, whoever was doing this, wanted to do it was almost like a silent movie where there Mm. wasn't Hanks retelling his story about like, hey, here's how I survived. Let me tell you and maybe be like an inconsistent narrator and tell you that, oh, it was easy. I found I found food relatively easy, but then actually showing him struggling with it. That would have been interesting, but obviously not what they wanted to do. So for me, what I would have liked to have seen was I want to almost start on the plane crash get him on the island and then as he's seeing some of these items like when he sees the watch that's when i want to flash back and see the relationship oh, wow. that means so much to him that i'm trying to lostify this 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 situation <laughs> <laughs> make this more like the plane crash and exposition of lost please Please do. Please do. Uh, that I think, again, it for me, it would have broken up just the, especially when, you, when you've always seen it once and you know the steps that, uh, that are going to happen. I, w- I need a little bit of narrative to keep my juices flowing. It's too hard to just watch someone silently act and do things when you roughly know what's going to happen to stay completely engaged. Like again, Hanks is a great actor. He makes it enjoyable to watch even when you know what's going to happen. But I, I really was hoping for some kind of narrative break and that again, I'm not going to call it a foul, but I think it is a ridiculous disservice that we go over an hour and 10 minutes with no Wilson in this movie. But yeah. And once, once he's on, once he's on screen, it's a different yeah. movie. I, I, I almost, say this you could break this movie down into a pre-wilson post-wilson type of situation or like pre 
Wilson, Wilson timeline, and then post Wilson, mm-hmm. which we'll yeah. get to at the, I'm assuming at the conclusion of this movie. You're but the same thing with America around World War One. Yeah. Yeah. It's this this is the device that you need to do what you're saying is to give Hanks the opportunity to Hanks, yeah. his character, Chuck, the opportunity to provide his inner monologue mm-hmm. in a realistic way. Right. We are being we are being included in his thoughts because he's telling his thoughts to Wilson and without Wilson being there, there's no, there's no reason for him to say anything other than like Mm -hmm. screaming out in pain or whatever. So extremely needed. And I like, yeah, I like the idea of him having that element earlier on Mm -hmm. or using aspects of him talking to, um, to Helen Hunt and the picture Mm -hmm. more. It's like an idea of giving us more, more fuel, like giving us more stuff in this first island part of the movie than just him surviving because mm-hmm. it took a, it took me at least away from what this what story this movie is telling this yeah. turned into like a gritty what does it take to survive type yes. of telling of the story which is an interesting element i'm definitely intrigued by mm-hmm the trauma and the different ways in which Hanks is needing to learn how to live in this foreign place. Yeah. But it's just not in my mind, what the story is really trying to tell, especially what's set up in the first half of this It's really not about his, his lack of survival skills, Mm -hmm. which comes into play here, or even that he's exceptionally bad at surviving and they give he's a bad boy scout. It's like something they could have brought up to like prime us for this. And he's needing to overcome that element of his mm-hmm. character, but it's really not. It doesn't feel like it's, it's that cohesive, especially that cohesive enough to, to last 30 to 40 minutes of just that. Yeah. Yeah. And especially on the rewatch, there's, there's just things that I was like, Oh, just skip this. Like I understand the, the emotional weight of seeing the pilot, you know, bearing the pilot, oh, yeah. you, get some, you, you get some shoes, but again, that it felt like five minutes. It may have only been a minute, but like, it felt like a good five minutes dedicated to the burial. I'm like, do I need to see the real time burial of someone to understand that this was something that was a big thing? No, like this, this is where we, I feel directors can sometimes really get indulgent on what they are trying to say or do or communicate where I'm just like, you don't need these long lasting shots on things. And I, you know, we didn't know this person's name really. And we're going to try and give them all of this time and aspect. And that's, that's fine. I think it goes to show a little bit of who Chuck is and that he's trying to maintain a little bit of like positive society, almost like treating someone as you would want to be treated, even when the world is broken down. So that does help to communicate who Chuck is. But for me, I think that could have been done in different ways that I would have enjoyed more. There was so little humor and that's until Wilson shows up. Until Wilson, Wilson, you get that device. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when Wilson does show up, you get a lot of, again, really well told and really well explained character development with Hanks when, when he cuts himself, when he's making, or he's trying to make fire for the first time, like whittling mm-hmm. with sticks and he's twisting them in his hands and ends up cutting himself, grabs the volleyball in frustration and like chucks it. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why he has like the, <laughs> has the, 
the the handprint as a face and you can kind of see when he first does it that it does like have a little bit of like a definition mm. for the eyes and a little bit for the mouth and he kind of he, he puts more effort into making it actually look like eyes and mouth we and get, like, then, instantly ghost. you well, you get it you get what he's doing yeah it was kind of happenstantial how it happened but it wasn't going out of your way to make a new character mm. it just felt like organic like that this made sense as it was happening and really well done. And that, and that was probably, I think the strongest section of the second quarter is everything related to the fire. When we yeah, get so him, that, yeah. When we get him whittling at first and then we get Wilson aspect of it and then we get the him succeeding and making fire. And then mm-hmm. that's, I'm not sure if that's something you want to nominate. That's I, I didn't consider it for sizzle reel because I just didn't think the entire thing was able to get there for me, but I would nominate as a posterizer. I have made fire. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it might be strong enough to make scissor reel for me. Definitely. I think that's a posterizer where he's mm-hmm. kind of like banging his chest and like mm-hmm. super proud of himself for making fire, which hell yeah. If you're able to make yeah. fire on an Island, especially like a rainy tropical Island, mm-hmm. like good on you. That's, that's impressive. And you definitely feel it. That's one of the, it's again, because, Hanks is so relatable mm-hmm. in general. Like it really does feel like you're rooting for the guy. Like can it just felt like it wasn't, it wasn't um, indulgent as you like to say, we weren't going too mm-hmm. much into the, the celebratory nature of it. It just felt like a just reaction to having made fire. And he was so pumped about it. Yeah, I get it. It's plot relevant. <laughs> It, it stands out. I've definitely heard that being said and thought of Castaway. Mm-hmm. So those are the qualifications. We're getting a nod, and I think it gets a nomination. Yep. And then this is where once he makes fire, he uh, he starts taunting the universe, and the universe says, oh, yeah, well, we'll make rain to put your fire away, forcing <laughs> him to go into the cave. And so that's kind of where we now see him make – like his, that's his new makeshift home, which, again, I, I am a very bad – visual with spaces but i did not know how this cave worked because the cave opening seemed to be like almost exactly over his head so i didn't know i don't understand how he gets in or out of the cave and how water is just not constantly filling up that cave well it seems like he's into like a pretty deep recess inside the cave so we see him like climbing into that almost like vaginal opening (laughs) it was very like (laughs) slit length and it looked like a little bit like all right this is you're making a weird visual of him climbing into this like vagina mountain entrance after four years anything will do i guess maybe maybe i'm just seeing it maybe that's just me that's just something i interpreted but he's climbing into it and for into the the warm safety of the of the mountain I'm like all right i'm not sure if i'm really am I feel I that warm much okay. that? it just seemed on the nose when i was watching i'm like oh, this seems like a metaphor um, but he climbs in it and he's like, I think where he's staying is pretty, not necessarily deep inside of that little mountain cave, but enough yeah. that he's away from the elements and like elevated from the entrance of the cave. But without having a map to really identify exactly what's going on there, I just took it at their word that it was a safety area that the elements were removed from. But um, th- so this is where we get into. Now we've reached the cave. You ready? You ready to talk about cave. this? We've built up. <laughs> through numerous talkings about how painful Tom Hanks's tooth is. 
that finally we get to the point where it's become too much. And he's talking to Wilson, which I love talking to Wilson about how he can't even like chew on fish anymore. And Mm -hmm. like, he has to like suck everything he's eating. And he's like, got some sort of like gauze in his mouth all the time he's Mm -hmm. talking. And it's just like, you really feel like something traumatic is about to happen. He's talking, this is an issue. I'm not going to call foul. Uh, no, it's not about the scene, but the, the, the foul where he's not a foul, the almost foul where he's talking about his doctor back home, <laughs> Dr. Yeah. Spalding. I'm, it's just like the weirdest thing to tell Wilson the volleyball that your doctor's name at home was Dr. Spalding. And that to me, you can go and put on the board. That's a nominee for posterizer for what? me. I love uh-huh. that. It's such a good aside. Oh, I, I found that really funny, especially a uh, little bit of a spoiler for those who haven't gotten to the fourth quarter. Uh, he does. We do actually find out that he was that was a complete truth that he tells. He was not lying. I'm sure about, we lie to, the, that, to Wilson at that point. That just that again, that Maybe, makes it even funnier. Anything you're going to lie about. It's like, don't lie about a rival <laughs> company. Like, I'd be like, oh, I have a friend of mine at home named Wilson. That's cool. That is cool. Be like, hey, I have the, the better circular ball manufacturer Spalding. I know him. <laughs> But anyway, we get into it's so it's such, again, relatable injuries, relatable pain. That's, to me, the most effective when you're trying to get across trauma and and, Mm -hmm. and, and these instances. And tooth pain is world renowned. Everyone has had it. Everyone hates the idea of going to the dentist, I would say. Most people at least would say that that's a, a phobia. Maybe they don't have it, but no, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. And just the buildup, the whole building of that scene. No, he's looking at the ice skate. Mm-hmm. He's looking at the reflection through the ice skate. He's talking about needing to get it worked on. And you just know where it's ramping up to. Mm-hmm. How about you go ahead and, and describe the what's going, what happens? What's the culmination of this scene? Well, before we get to that, uh, not to put you too much on the uh, on the hot seat here, but I cannot watch this scene without thinking of you. Specifically, the multiple times I have woken up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom only to find you legit in fetal position, like in between the bathroom and your room with a toothbrush in your mouth, just... <laughs> Just crying to yourself. Making oh, up for lost time. It's like trying to rectify all the, the sins of not brushing when I was very young. Yeah. Toothpaste's oh, no God. joke. I mean, it's, oh, crippling. It it's crippling. Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with an injury or a mouth infection that's gone untreated for that long, and I imagine mm-hmm. obviously he's not brushing at all on the mm-hmm. island and it's only intensifying it. It's such a good parallel to a to a an extreme amount of pain that most people are able to pinpoint okay i know mm-hmm. what they're talking about and it's so successful in that i would nominate even though i would do not want to watch this scene again <laughs> i would nominate it for scissor reel because of how well it's it's shot how well it's paced how well it's acted mm-hmm. and because you're dealing with a traumatic dental surgery it's memorable yeah. when you think of that done in other movies i can't think of another mouth infection <laughs> that's relevant <laughs> in another movie that takes precedence over this one. This is truly a traumatic scene for me. 
Yeah, it, it really is. And I, and I, they, they build it up, you know, slowly over this first half where, you know, they, I would say maybe like once every 15 minutes or so, they, they bring in something to remind you that he's got tooth issues, you know, the way he bites on something. So like, you know, at some point this is going to have to get addressed, but Again, I was I did not remember this specific scene and how that happened. So it was very jarring. And thankfully, because I am again, I am not someone who wants to see any kind of medical procedures being done. <laughs> they don't show a lot of it. Like they do show once where he's kind of lifting up his lip and you can see the abscess on his yeah. like whatever, like in his gums, and like it looks real bad, but you don't really see a lot of him actually hitting the other skate into the skate with the rock or how you know he he's looking he at one as a mirror. On side, yeah, and then he knocks the yeah. back of the blade <gasps> and like punches it forward and knocks his tooth yeah. out. Huh. And this is where we I think, we don't really yeah. see the end result of the procedure because it does do a flash forward at the end of it, which thankfully we don't have to see the week-long recovery process mm-hmm. of having his, his tooth launched out, but uh, good God, it yeah. was traumatic. But the, yeah, this is also, you know, you, you, you had mentioned uh, Survivor at some point. Like this did give me flashbacks of there's one season of Survivor where someone like passed out because they were too close to the fire and had to get like medically evacuated because oh, yeah. they burnt their arms. And this, I was like, Chuck is like legit, like looks like three feet away from that fire. I'm like, I don't know how he is not like passed out, like just from inhaling those fumes. And he should have to be wearing like a Phantom of the Opera mask after that. Like he should have half his face burnt. Some degree of burn, whatever the most uh, far, the most, the worst degree. It seems like it probably was that maybe that's a argument that Wilson's a real character. Maybe Wilson rescued him, put out the Mm. fire, pushed him away. So maybe six man. We're just, we'll keep it open. At this point, I'm yeah. in Wilson's corner. He's one of my <laughs> favorite parts of the movie already. And I'm going to find a way of recognizing him somehow throughout this process. <laughs> if it's not a six man in some other honorable mention way, but really holding his own as, as the counter to, to Hanks in the second quarter. Yeah. And, uh, and before we move on to the, the third quarter, the, the one other thing I, I was kind of thinking about, you know, when you talk about like how do movies age, especially when it comes to technology. And I think the first thing you can think of is, oh, well, we wouldn't have pagers anymore. It'd all be like cell phones and things like that. But one of the things that jumped out to me was during this the, this quarter, he uh, he builds two different help signs, right? One with just like on the sand and then another uh, one that he actually uses trees for. And I was thinking, OK, back in whatever, 95 or whenever this is, no one is ever going to be able to see that unless they're like flying very, very close. But now, do you think that there's enough satellites in orbit that like the Earth is constantly being surveilled where someone would actually be able to see a random help sign coming up on an island? No, no. You don't think so, huh? I don't feel I like think they, I think the ability is out there. Maybe if it's like you gave them coordinates and they could locate, <laughs> like, and like enhance, 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 maybe they're, they're going to get some some view of it. But no one's out there looking at satellite images of islands and like scanning for help signs. Oh, you it's know, we, we need, we need to, we need to get people working. I feel like that's, that's the way we got to start. Let's make sure there's no one inhabited on an uninhabited island. That's where we gotta Let's start. get them that's rescued. <laughs> The I number think the one priorities are a little bit get backward. people working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Screw this poverty situation or systemic racism. We need to talk about finding people on islands. That's yeah, where, well, get, that's where guess who's probably go. not going to get fi- uh, get found. Or it's going to take a much longer time to find the Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington. He's probably still on an island. <laughs> 
Who knows? Who knows? It's a mystery for another podcast. Free Denzel. Yeah. Are there any other lasting thoughts, lingering questions about the second quarter? No, I, I, you know, we're 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 ramping up. We get to, we're doing a jump flash forward, I believe, to four years in the future, and we're picking up with and seeing where Chuck leaves off. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna hold the whistle to the third quarter. I feel like the whistle's gonna get utilized. I, yeah, Maybe out I the feel... gate with the flash forward. I don't. It's, I I'm I'm almost always against a flash forward, and when we're talking a four year flash forward, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm ready to blow it. We're gonna have to see how they can excuse this this level of jump, but. I'm, I'm especially I, yeah. ready. Yeah. When you, when you take the, the sweet time that you've been taking on things like delivering a package or how long the, the, the plane crash is or how long we've now just spent with Chuck, you know, without Wilson, just trying to survive. And we're just all of a sudden going to jump four years. That, that, that does seem like quite a leap, especially that's a big narrative leap when you're not using any other narrative things I would have liked, like exposition or narrative. Like if you're, you know, if you're going to jump four years, give me something else also to help me understand what's happening. But yeah. who, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put that we'll in the third quarter. The third quarter is still to come. They're starting it with, uh, with an interesting rotation. They're bringing in some, some, some players and some strategies that maybe they weren't using <laughs> the first two quarters. So we'll see. It's a bold strategy. We'll see if it pays off. Let's do it. The OMG Movie Podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Do you have what it takes to survive an unplanned disaster? If you said yes, you're wrong. But that is where we at Survivor Box come in handy. With our service, you will receive a portable device monthly that is specifically designed to both assist you in a survival situation as well as be implanted under your skin to ensure you always have it when needed. Survivor Box. Because if you don't always have it, it won't help you survive. Lost. One-of-a-kind videotape cassettes with family footage were sent to me recently by my relatives, and we never received them. If anyone may have grabbed a box by accident or have any information about who may have taken the videotapes, please call Kevin Zapruder or Nancy Saget. Thank you. And now for the third quarter game plan. Over four years, Chuck survives and has since taken shelter inside a cave. Wilson is his only companion. After a large section from a portable toilet enclosure washes up on the island, Chuck decides to build a raft. Using a section of the plastic wall from the enclosure as a sail, Chuck is now successfully able to launch the raft, which he has stocked with food, water, and the one and open FedEx package. After some time on the ocean, a storm damages his raft. The following day, Wilson falls off the raft and is lost, devastating Chuck. Soon after, a passing cargo ship rescues the barely alive Chuck. And now, on to our third quarter discussion. All right, we're on to Skinny Hanks. Fat Skinny Hanks, Hanks is a thing of the past. We are in, I, I'm assuming we're near 2000 at this point based off of the four-year progression on that flash forward. Yeah. I think that's that's kind of where we're at. We're assuming like a couple months before flash forward, and now we're heading towards the fifth year of him being on the island. We have not yet gotten to Titan Talk with Helen Hunt, so we don't know the exact year yet. <laughs> Titan Talk is, is really what I'm looking forward to. It's getting me through some of the, 
the dredges of the third quarter. I will say that. <laughs> um, but first off, what's the take on 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 Chuck's tr- transformation here? What do you think? Do you think it's? I mean, for me, it's very well done, but it's also like startling to see Hanks as an expert survival man all of a sudden. Yes, it is. It's very, very jarring. That's a very good word to to do it. And I think, again, when you think of like an iconic thing, you know, this to me would be part of a potential sizzle reel is the just the the fishing scene with the spear right as we get to this four year mark that I remember in the theaters. I remember that is going to be, Ooh, I'm going to see that at some point, he's going to be somewhere kind of off in the distance. We're just going to see a fish flying, uh, floating around and bam spear right in that fish. So <laughs> bam, bam. So that is definitely something that I would nominate as a potential sizzle reel contender. Uh, just because it's, again, it, it's hard to know what we're going to count as a posterizer when there's no words being said for some of these things. It was just going to be yeah. pure length of time. Uh, but as far as the year, I thought that that was something I, I was very intrigued. I, I wanted to know, like, is there a reason why they settled on four years? Like, why not one year? Not Why not two? Why not ten? Like, what was the reason why you think they chose four years as the time jump? Well, not, but we haven't gotten into the fourth quarter yet. So I, I would imagine the time he's on the island mm. is setting up the return home element to this story, mm. which I would imagine is also going to be full of trials now that it's been so long of sure. him being gone. I'm sure that's going to come into play with what his life's like when he's going back. I can't mm. think of a, of a good storytelling reason for what's going on here in the third quarter of him on the island. He, he's certainly yeah. more... Um, capable when it when it comes to surviving and and obviously when he's getting the 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 main resource that comes to him during this quarter um spoiler alert porter potty uh, <laughs> comes onto the island and you can already tell like especially because it's not being monologued to us what he's going to be using it for but you can tell his his breadth of of knowledge of how to how to get off this island is somewhat you know it's it's pretty thorough considering he knows he can use this as a sail, how to set it up as a sail, how to go about building a new raft, which he does very efficiently. And really his only issue at this point after getting Porter Potty is finding rope, finding and making rope, which again, he's, he's pretty practiced at it seems at this point. Yeah, yeah. This is where if if the if the second quarter was all about him trying to show him learning the ropes, learning how to survive on the island, this third quarter is all about showing how much he has adapted, right? Not yeah. just that, you know, in the in the second quarter where he like he's opening all these FedEx packages, it's I have no clue how I would be using these things, right? He kind of learn he sees him using uh, the um, the mesh for fishing, but now in this third quarter, we're seeing him quickly be able to use everything, anything new that comes to him to survive. Right. Immediately. He notices it's a sale. We also see that in the mean, in the, in the meantime, in these past four years, he's learned enough to be able to make a calendar. He knows when. Yeah. He um, is excellent. Excellent. When it comes to math, I mean, he's like getting the square root of pie going and like mm -hmm. doing multiplication tables and this, talking it through with Wilson and yeah. that is some impressive it's, it's an impressive not only like on, on your own what you knew coming in the islands all, all you can mm -hmm. use when it comes to your your efficiencies with this kind of stuff and then trial and error you're not trialing and erring math like clearly yeah. 
Chuck came onto this island with a pretty good like arithmetic arithmetic background. Yeah. And uh, I was impressed by it. I would be lost as all hell. Like when he's like, putting up the diagram of like, this is where the plane must have been. We were 30 miles off course or whatever. And he's calculating the square miles that they need to serve. I mean, that is beyond. Yeah. And it only, only serves a purpose of making you feel more isolated. <laughs> it's really the, the <laughs> takeaway is like, I'd rather not know that stuff. And like, maybe they're coming tomorrow or maybe someone will mm-hmm. find me next week. And he's, very efficiently figured out that there's no chance that someone's coming to get him. Yeah. And this is where Wilson, I think really comes into play is that without him, we don't know all of these things about Chuck. We don't know that he actually understands how much rope he needs. We don't understand that he quickly, that he quickly knows that this is a sale and that that's, what's been keeping him from getting above the waves, right? We start, we are, we're able to see his intellect and how his mind is surviving on this Island through the discussions with Wilson. Yeah. If there's, if there's any, this is Wilson's quarter. This really is Wilson setting himself apart. I think as a character and you you might get some pushback on, on being a six man candidate, but I think Wilson has done enough in this quarter to push himself into that tier of, of, of potential nomination. I think he's more than intangible. He was a huge part of the dramatic, obviously a huge part, the main Mm -hmm. part, of the drama going on and they foreshadow uh, Hank's losing Wilson earlier on when he gets angry and throws him out of the cave mm-hmm. and just starts to go into like this panic of trying to find him, which was a really well shot and executed scene. This is something Zemeckis does quite a lot mm-hmm. in Castaway is have the audience or us see what's going on, either the foreground or the background before Hank's does. So we're at ease knowing that Wilson's safe, watching him panic. And he's like looking around. Eventually he sees what we see, sees Wilson like stuck on a rock and comes and gets him. It's a, it's a very interesting choice of, mm-hmm. of, of, of allowing us to see as a spectator what's actually happening and also what Chuck or Tom Hanks is interpreting happening and seeing him act through that. I think that was, it was a choice done quite a bit in this movie. And I think it paid off there. Um, and it, I think it, it continues to happen a little bit more in the third quarter, but just something that stood out to me as a, as a good X's and O's choice that yeah. added to that scene for me. Not one that I would nominate for scissor reel because there's definitely a better losing Wilson scene here later on in the third quarter. <laughs> but and this was a good one. It was a good foreshadowing element. Very good. Some good callbacks and through lines throughout the movie. You get a lot of that, that work done, that groundwork laid earlier on to make that, that more impactful Wilson moment really, really shine. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I would, however, I would nominate, and I am going to nominate uh, this, the basically the kicking of Wilson out of the cave and him yelling okay. that he, that he'd rather die than staying on the Island with the volley, talking to the volleyball. Again, that is an iconic thing interacting with Wilson other than Hanks just yelling Wilson. That's like really the, uh, the time where you really get to see a little bit of Wilson's personality. And mm-hmm. I wanted to get your thoughts on wh- what do you think Wilson is? Do you think that to me, it, it seems as if Hanks has kind of pushed off some of his own negative feelings and emotions and put them onto Wilson. Cause Wilson seems a bit of a nag likes to point out well, only the negatives. It seems. Yeah. Oh, it seems like Wilson has become a parable for the Island and the Island mm-hmm being a sense of both comfort and also a rejection for what he knows, which is home life and back like living with 
in Tennessee and as a FedEx employee, like all that kind of stuff that is him is separated from Wilson. And when, when he gets into those arguments, it's more about, I want to go back to the way I was. And Wilson is his tether back to the island, which is even more poignant, I think, later on in this scene when you when you get him trying to, to have both, right? He wants to bring the island with him and he also wants to go back home and just realizing he can't do that. Um, yeah. Or at least the symbolism of that happening more directly later on. But yeah, this is, I, I think you're, it's, it's very... It's well done when we're seeing this, the, the conversations between the two of them where it does seem like Wilson is the more negative voice in Hank's head. Yeah. It's like, you can't do this. Like you're being, you're not planning this out enough or you're not using all the resources. And this is where we also learn about the extra rope yep. that uh, Chuck has already made. And it's kind of alluded to a few times that he doesn't want to go get it or for whatever reason that we, we end up finding out that he had attempted to commit suicide by hanging mm-hmm earlier in this flash or before we get to where we are in the flash forward at some point before that, I think it was like a year or so before Mm -hmm. he was trying to plot his own death, which it it was, it was interesting the way they did it because it was, we didn't really have the moment. We didn't see that uh, of him contemplating it and and potentially carrying it, carrying out and not doing it. So it wasn't as impactful, I think, as it could have been. It was more of like, a, oh, that's interesting. He didn't do it. I guess he's fine now, was the way I took it. And yeah. it, it I think there was a missed opportunity. That's why I don't like flash forwards as much. Maybe even if it's a montage of him learning those things and the big moments that we see, I would have I would have preferred more than just a big flash forward and then kind of insinuating that things like that had happened in the past. It just wasn't as effective for me. Yeah. I, I will say on the flash forward, I did appreciate Wilson's new hairdo as someone who has a very oh, yeah. round face. I like uh-huh. the straight up hair. It, yeah. it really, it, it was a very striking ensemble. It looked like a going. chieftain captain or something like, uh, yeah. like some sort of head yeah. gown, headdress deal going on. It was definitely a good look. And that the more like faded blood face, I thought was also mm. nice. He keeps filling it in, but it's yeah. like caked on. Yeah, it's got a very quiet dignity. Wilson does. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah, of course. That's that's how I would describe Wilson as being quiet, but also dignified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it felt. You know, again, this is where I think that the movie kind of shines in my in my opinion, where we get to see and hear Chuck's ability to try and overcome and again overcome his own demons as you said with the pat with the suicide attempt and you know making his mind up that he's going to use this this deliverance of fate and that is another thing that we'll have to talk about i think a little bit here in this third quarter is fate and um how Destiny, just some, yeah just some, some interesting things happen serious circumstances start to, to start to shine through in the third quarter and, and it's uh it's an issue when it comes to this in my mind being the strongest quarter up front of the movie like the mm-hmm. first half of the third quarter after flash forward was mm-hmm. really well done it did continue the best elements of the second quarter and just mm-hmm. kind of intensified the build up to him leaving the island i thought very well um i will say for me a, a potential posterizer is when he finds the porter potty and mm-hmm. screams to, or first it's like a question to wilson bakersfield <laughs> and he starts screaming bakersfield over and over again as he's realizing that this might be a potential sale um great shout out to bakersfield this might be the only <laughs> bakersfield reference you get in a movie and uh 
it's just another sign of how well he can act is using a word like that. That's kind of non, it's a non, it's, it's not nothing. It doesn't bring up anything in your mind other than like a pointless Californian city. And then you get like this, uh, it was, it was nice. It was well done. It was an interesting way of doing it. And, I, and definitely I remembered that. So I, I would say maybe a backdoor sneak in as a nominee for poster riser. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how Bakersfield feels about being known worldwide as like the potty, uh, the porter potty manufacturing <laughs> to the stars. It's like, the potty Scra- like Scranton, you know, you are only now known as a paper producing uh, company location. I mean, in terms of quality, that thing held up. It did It did get ripped off of the rest of its porter potty. So I'm not really yeah, sure. Wanna... That's a great sign because it wasn't a full porter potty that came floating. It was just as like a, one of the sides of it. It probably um, came from the filming of Waterworld when they made the entire set out there and it, and it blew up. Like, that's probably what floated over there. It's a continuous yeah. thing. I mean, at that point, you don't have any questions. But when, when <laughs> God bringeth you a porter potty, <laughs> you take it. Yep. Uh, but that, this is, it's a lot of like, it's a lot of build up to the eventual taking sail off of the island. And and we get some really interesting camera work with, when they're doing this, especially when he's mm-hmm. made the raft and, and starts to leave. And we're, we're and this is something we haven't brought up yet. I don't think there's been zero score in this movie. Mm-hmm. On any 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 island scene, anytime he's on the island, there is no musical score undertoning anything, which is an interesting choice because again, it leaves you feeling a sense of isolation, like he's alone on this island. And there's yeah. nothing to help like, get you through it other than just watching this person struggle and live. And then when we finally see him, and I want to talk about this scene in depth because it's, an, for me, an obvious scissor reel nominee of him leaving the island. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when we when he finally breaks the last wave using the sail, we get this score that, that comes in. And he's seeing the island and he's kind of, obviously you can interpret through his emotions that he's, having this thankful feeling coming over him of like this island nourished me for four or five years. <laughs> and like, I am, I learned a lot about my, it felt a little bit like he was saying goodbye while also acknowledging now he's like on the open water and has to deal with this situation. <laughs> and maybe a little bit regretful about having left the island, but it was, it was a good time for that score to come in. And I, and I think that really, really helps the scene, um, in terms of setting itself apart from the other scenes in this movie is it, it has the element of the score behind it because everything else that we're talking about so far hasn't been accompanied by that. And it does add to the, to the, um, to the emotional elements of the scene for me. Yeah. And that's a very good, I, I suppose, like a subconscious thing for me is I did not realize, you know, rationally that the music had completely stopped and started again once he was off the island. But that's, that's a very good pickup. But I think, uh, you know, when you're when you're watching it, I think you do pick up that something is different. So I think yeah. that's, that's a credit to the filmmaking when something maybe that isn't having to be spoon fed is still being felt or if it's if it's not recognized, maybe it still is having an impact. So, yeah, I think that was a really good uh, thing there. I, I will say uh, apparently somehow uh, Hanks was able to just completely get rid of all of the the, the trees on the island because he tells Wilson, <laughs> like, well, that's it. We're all we're all out of trees or the ability all to of trees growth. like what? what? <laughs> <laughs> he's not a good servant of the island. 
that I mean that was shocking to me that he that he I don't know if there's some sort of like qualification of you need to be a certain type of wood to be able to make the the ropes that he was making. Yeah. Maybe that was a limitation, but there was definitely more trees in that island. There was a lot of <laughs> like just foliage around. Every panorama we saw, tons of trees. Yeah, and he's like burning them down like a pro. Like some of those fires had like like trees had fires in multiple locations on the tree trunks. I'm like, wow, he is like he is like shooting like arrows of fire or something at these trees. Yeah, and maybe he had like a survival book on him or just learned that through trial and error. Like that's an insane amount of of a knowledge to be able to to draw upon while you're spending time on this. And I would have I wouldn't be able to learn anything more than I know now, and I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. So I would feel like and within if I were to make it past a year, which no way, I'm not getting better. I'm just like I'm weaker and I'm probably going to die from the elements sooner than later. And it, it was impressive that it said something about Chuck's character. This guy had has <laughs> something about him keeping him going. It must have been that unopened package. That, yeah, was, yeah, that was really what was making it happen. Yeah. Now, I, I just want to make sure because I'm ready to talk about the whale, but I just want to make sure there's nothing else that you want to bring up because we've we've gone all this way into the third quarter without bringing up the whale. So I just want to make sure you're ready. Well, yeah, I do want to get into the, the why I like that um, leaving the island scene as a potential scissor reel candidate. Okay. Um, we get the first look of the fully functioning boat which was mm-hmm. cool. I think that having that retractable sail flap was really cool. Mm-hmm. Having Wilson on his little uh, pedestal where mm-hmm. he ties them in using videotape, uh, whatever they call that, videotape tape. <laughs> that to like tie him <laughs> to, uh, to the front of the boat. Thought that was really cool. And then just really well shot, really well directed. I, I liked the... Um, the suspense of him getting over each wave as they got bigger and bigger. And it was just obviously a sign of, of things to come when we're looking at like his rescue experience, trying to float around and be found. Uh, mm-hmm. It set that up really well. And uh, I just, I, I just, it was, it was the culmination of the, of where the, I think the movie should have ended. Honestly, that, that, that was the peak of the movie. It was after some of the, the more successful Island elements were told. And I think that 40 minute stretch where you look like, halfway point through the second quarter to the halfway point of the third quarter is where this is a very recommendable movie. And it's, if it Mm -hmm. stayed within that, that realm, it would have been, I think really, really, really hard to beat against Emperor's new groove. But that third part of the, the last half of the third quarter is real bad. It's bad. It's, I don't know why the choices were made the way they were. There's only one thing saving it. (laughs) <laughs> at the end of the third quarter, which we'll get to, but what I'll, what, I'll, what I'll break from the good part of the third quarter, the bad part of the third quarter is when we introduce spirit whales. Yeah. I'd say that's, that's the beginning of a steep, steep decline. And that's, if you, I'm not sure if you remember exactly when the whales showed up, but what, what's, what was your take on what the whale element was or what it was, what, what it was, why it came up the way it came up for give me anything anything about the whales the the only thing that i could think of watching it was that the whale was was supposed to represent safety in some way that he was truly off the island or like that he had gotten so far away from the island that there was no way of going back like that's i guess what i interpreted that of is that okay this is now he is now 
uh, on his own in the deep, deep ocean. Like that's, that's what I interpret as, but looking at the eye of the whale and the, yeah. the honestly, the thing I couldn't get myself past was he kept his goddamn legs in the water the entire time. And I know the whale's not going to try and trying to take a munch out of it, but like there could be other things in that water. Get yeah. your feet out of the water. <laughs> like I come on, man. Well, yeah, the bare well, minimum. Well, I think we can also add to the list of things this podcast is not we are not a sea based podcast. No. You can take all sea <laughs> aspects of, of knowledge, enjoyment away from what we'll be talking about. It's strange. One, I thought the CGI was pretty bad. The the majority of the water like when we're looking at the waves crashing and just like the foreground water that's that's in these shots is very digital and it's mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just the copy I have but it was just it stood out didn't look nearly as good as some of the other um, like ship scenes or water scenes that I that I had that I recall from the thousands and it mm-hmm. stuck out as a, as a sore as a sore thumb a little bit but when we first see the whale show up and it is like cartoony because it's it pops out of the water a little bit it looks at you can see they zoom in on the eye the eyes looking at hanks they have this like bro moment where it's like what mm-hmm. up they respect each other and then the whale goes back down <laughs> and then then that's apparently worthy of that whale following him throughout yeah. this entire journey and it shows up several times not even mm-hmm. not even kidding several times mm-hmm. wakes him up in opportune moments one so we get this we sees the whale and that's like I think that might have been his first night at sea, yeah. and then we get this devastating storm that hits on one of these nights, and mm-hmm. it ends up resulting in the raft kind of breaking down a little bit. Segments mm-hmm. of the wood have cracked. It's like underwater a little bit, and then um, we get a flash forward to one of the mornings, and Wilson gets lodged free from mm-hmm. his little his videotape harness his perch. his perch and it starts to drift and we this is again one of those Zemeckis choices where we as the audience are seeing the drama unfold mm-hmm. before Hanks realizes it so we're like oh shit wake up wake up wake up but he's not waking up and then this whale is like oh bro wake up and like shoots up some water and it hits Hanks in the face and, and then Hanks realizes what's going on sees Wilson drifting apart, far away. And that's when we get the posterizer of the movie. Mm-hmm. And this is when he's realizing he can't get to, he can't get to Wilson. And it's because of the, whatever the situation with the tides, he's got to tug his yep. boat. He doesn't want to get pulled from his boat mm-hmm. and he can't get there as fast as Wilson's drifting away. So he, he screams, shouting sorrow in his voice. I'm sorry, Wilson. Wilson, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, devastating. And then we, and like, so after the him realizing Wilson's gone, it's mm-hmm. like 30 seconds of him just breaking down on his raft, just sobbing. And I think that's might qualify as both the sizzle. I, I hesitate with the sizzle because we're too close to whale territory. <laughs> any, any mention of the scene, you have to start with a whale waking him up. Yeah. And that is tough. That's because it's such an egregious whistles being blown and we got foul calls left and right on the whale both times. First time yeah. because of the comical eye contact. If it was just one whale sighting and the whale went away and never came back, I'm not blowing the whistle. Yeah, I'm okay but with this, 
But when it becomes a narrative point that that whale is like a bro and is helping him out, whistle, whistle, whistle. Biggest foul of the movie. I would also say there's so much, again, we talked about how much there's so much hate about him never opening the uh, the other FedEx package. What I have more dis- dislike for is he secured that package on somehow much, much more yeah. tightly than Wilson. Like, come on, have your priorities set. Like that, yeah, that package survived yeah. multiple storms somehow. Yeah. Wilson could have been lashed on a little better. Yeah, and this is like case in point and Wilson being a six man is that he is so much of a character that that Chuck feels wrong deflating him and putting him away and saving it. I just, I'm going to make sure I don't lose this thing. I'm going to pack it away with all my food and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he perches him up like a, like a person or a thing that can like objectively want the view. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the demise. It was the hubris. It was the hubris. And, um, you know, I definitely remember the loss of Wilson. I think that as a kid overshadowed the bad, the bad elements of this scene. And now watching it again, the plot holiness of the, having the spirit whale in addition to, to the way he's transporting Wilson foul. You got to give it a foul and you got to take it away from the sizzle reel. I will give it a posterizer though, because I do think the I'm sorry, Wilson is probably a hard one to beat in this category for this movie. That's a big one. So what do you think? Do you think when he gets back and returns, do you think he ever tells anybody about Wilson? Oh, he's got to. Why? Because no I mean, of Wilson. But if someone's like, how'd you get through it? Or like, how did you not, how'd you not go insane? Like, I think you, you can, you can bring it up. as like, I had a, a imaginary friend on the Island. That was you don't think that's going to be proof that you have gone world. insane. Like, you know, they're going to use it against you and put you in an insane asylum. If you say, yeah, for three no, years, I put you in an insane asylum after coming back from a, a tropical Island. I feel like, I, I feel like we didn't, we didn't see what happened to him for four weeks. Right. I think as we're going to get into the four, the fourth quarter, I think, right. Doesn't it jump ahead that it's like four weeks later after he gets returned, uh, after he gets onto the magical crew, the cruise yeah. ship that, that gets him. So like, who knows? Maybe he did have to like mental checkups and things. And if he's talking about talking volleyballs, he may not survive to see anybody. I'm sure that was part of the rehabilitation process is to go through <laughs> some, like just general therapy. I don't know if it's like Wilson specific therapy, but I'm sure you need to work out a lot of stuff that's yeah. happened in the last five years. But I also, I, it's probably like he's in the hospital. Like, I, I think he, he probably needs like electrolytes and like just a lot of naps. You can't go back to FedEx as quickly. You gotta, you gotta take some breaks. But anyway, we're not done with the whale fouls. So we we have the foul of him waking up, not in time to save Wilson, but he does wake him up in hopes of saving him. Wilson's kind of a bitch in that that regard. Yeah, and it's like the whale realizes, like, oh, your volleyball is going, bro. Like, wake up. Come on. Like, the next time, if you're going to be a spirit whale, like, okay, you wake him up when there's a giant freighter, like a massive freighter. Yeah. massive. Massive. Lots of noise. Lots of just like obvious. I'm imagining this isn't a change of the wake of the water near you. He's not that far away. He's like 50 feet, maybe. And he's not waking up. Not waking up. It's been 30 seconds. We have this classic at this point. Zemeckis showing the audience what's happening and, and us seeing Hank's not aware of it. 
And we're just like yelling at the screen, like, look at the freighter. Look at the freighter. Freighter's right there. Can you hear it? Can you not hear it? What's going on? Why are you dead? And then the whale starts shooting up again. And, the, and not just once, at least twice, it's shooting up and hits him in the face. And finally, that water like wakes him up enough to recognize the freighter's nearby. And he says Kelly's name, mm-hmm. which, you know, fuck off to Wilson, I guess. <laughs> Wilson back to Kelly. And then the, 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 for the crew of the freighter, like, oh, yeah, we see that guy. And they just pick him up. So, like, that's really the end mm-hmm. of the whole cast it away element of the movie. And it's just very flat, very flat. Well, after he left the island, it was just a lot of the, I get that you get the spike in him losing Wilson, which is a well-earned reward for the movie. It was well plotted. It was well done, but it was not enough to save the wonkiness that's going on in this, in this side of the, of the third quarter. Yeah. It was, yeah. This quarter was definitely the, we, we have the function of, we need to get him off the Island. You know, we, like we can't have the movie's not just going to end with him dying on the Island. Like some, something has to happen. And the movie obviously wants him to be the one in charge of his destiny a little bit, but it's doing it in a weird way by number one, instead of it just, it, it didn't seem like he couldn't have just made a sale. Like it feels like he, like if he knew he needed to sale, he could have potentially just made a sale on his own. I don't know why they invited, fate with the porter potty but okay that's fine and then, we're not a boating podcast we really don't know the elements that it takes to yeah, make a you know, so, I mean, maybe you really idea. have to have that vibrating plastic to be able to get a sail <laughs> going i don't know you know please if you're nautical please let us know if you're, um, if you're nautical by nature we're like that. <laughs> oh oh um but um but then, you know, he gets into the water, right? And then he loses the sail. And again, as a non-nautical person, I'm like, so does that mean he's dead now? What happens with the sail? Is he okay? Fine. I, think, I thought, I, honestly, as a, again, non-nautical person, yeah. I thought that was like going to be his little home. Yeah, like right. A, like a little tent situation you could put on the raft to block yes. the elements. I'm like, oh, yeah, yes. he definitely needs that. But then it's like, oh, it's a sail? I'm like, okay, that probably is important. But <laughs> yeah, that just goes to show you, none of this is really – you're not handheld as an audience as to what's yes. happening. You get a little bit of a uh, of the inner monologue with Wilson. And once Wilson's gone, it really is like, I don't know what this whale is. I don't know what's mm-hmm. going on with with anything of, of how Hanks is surviving this. I don't know how. How are you surviving open air, open sea for three plus days? Is it possible? I don't know. I guess. I guess it is. It's yep. not. I would have thought fatal in one day. If I was cast, a, cast away on a floating raft for a day, I don't think I'm making that. Yeah, I mean that that's difficult. It's difficult, and especially when he has to go out and like fish for himself, like you know, off of the raft it, <laughs> to get food. Like that's a tough existence. You know, again, too many water world comparisons to to True. be good. <laughs> one one element I was thinking about is when that freighter ship comes up. I could have been like, this is the beginning of Captain Phillips. Ah, ooh. right. They they get him around together. Hanks, he gets on there. He learns how to be a freighter man. Clearly, great work ethic. He's shown it with his ability with FedEx. Yep. And um, yeah, could could easily be this is the background for Captain Phillips. Yeah, very yeah. Or I obviously I know that that new um, that the new uh, Tom Hanks one on Apple. I know it's a World War II movie, but with him being on the sea, maybe it's a descendant movie. Everyone in that family has to eventually uh, commandeer <laughs> a, <via. laughs> a a big old boat. Yeah, it very well might be the case. Big old boat. Uh, 
Is there anything left here in the third quarter to, to, to talk about? I know we, we did skip over a lot uh, of the scenes in general just because they weren't really going to qualify for anything in terms of fouling or um, being nominated for a post-rise or a sizzle. Um, but any any takeaways from the third quarter? Where, where's, where's your mindset here at, at, at in terms of the movie going into the, the, final, the final quarter? I will say it was very fun to see Hanks kind of play a little bit of uh, like, ha ha, I told you so when he was able to get the rope and he was kind of gloating to Wilson. That was very <laughs> fun to me. That was a little, just a, an enjoyable relationship moment between him and Wilson of like, yeah, you didn't think I could do it. I got some rope for you. Wilson yeah. is like a, he's just like a, a bummer. He's just constantly deflating. And like, you can't do shit. You're, oh, not no, not You're not good enough. You can't beat me. <laughs> Uh, but my mindset going into the fourth quarter, my, my, my mindset, if I remember it, is that everything else from here is a little bit of a under of underwhelmingness. So like, it almost feels like I've seen the best of what this movie is going to offer me. And this rest is going to be things that will maybe be somewhat enjoyable, but things I wish would have either been done differently or just kind of skipped completely. Yeah. Well, we do have, we do have the, football scene to look forward to. I'm excited <laughs> to, to, to truly get that um, element resurfaced into my life. I want to know more about why that comes up because I don't remember why they talk about sports. It doesn't seem like it's going to be that um, relevant to the rest mm -hmm. of it, but who knows? I do remember it. So it might be a big deal. Maybe um, yeah. we, we shall see. Let's we if you're shall. ready, I think I'm getting ready to get into it. Yeah, we're on, we're on to the fourth quarter game tape. We'll see you on the other side. Today's episode is brought to you by The Ball Doctors. Need to check on your health but can't remember your doctor's name? At The Ball Doctors, every member of our staff shares a name with a sports ball manufacturer to eliminate that unneeded stress. Dental needs? Call Dr. Spalding. Looking for elective surgery? Call Dr. Titleist. And for our lady listeners, call Dr. Rollins today to set up your annual appointment. Whatever you need, we here at Ball Doctors are here to support you. And now for the fourth quarter game plan. Upon returning to civilization, Chuck learns that he was given up for dead and his family and friends held a funeral. Kelly has since married and has a child. Chuck and Kelly reunite and profess their love for each other, but knowing Kelly cannot abandon her family, they part. Kelly gives Chuck the keys to the car they once shared. Chuck then drives to Texas to return the unopened FedEx package to the person who had sent it. Finding no one at home, he leaves the package at the door with a note saying that the package saved his life. He departs and stops at a remote crossroads. A young woman in a pickup truck stops and gives information about where each road leads. As she drives away, Chuck notices the wing graphic painted on her truck is similar to the one on the parcel. He looks down each road, then at the one the woman took, and smiles. And now for the fourth quarter discussion. We're done. We finished. Fourth quarter is over let's take a look at how we got here how did the fourth quarter make me never want to watch this movie again 
<laughs> that I, I retroactively am lowering grades from other quarters because I don't even know what the movie is anymore. It completely mm-hmm. lost all thread from where it had been, from where I thought wanted to go, and it became something else entirely. And um, I'm interested in figuring out why I don't like it as much as I do. And what's mm-hmm. your initial take of the fourth quarter? My initial take is that it it feels very very disjointed. It feels like we're we're watching things happen in the way that they shouldn't be happening. Like he has this big long like monologue discussion with that friend, but it's like way later than it feels like it should happen. Like that should I feel like that's one of the first things that I want to see is like him like have like breaking down a bit from like he's been gone for five years things are different he's he can't get with his with his girl like it's just so weird that we focus first on this relation like him the relationship of him and his friend is the first thing that we come back and see like no that's not what anything is about yeah and and that is really what the crux of the issue is is that this whole time not just chuck has been waiting to Mm -hmm. see the re the reuniting of, of him and kelly so have we and when we get into this, like, oh, he's back, or he makes it out of the freighter, which is already kind mm-hmm. of a very anticlimactic way of rescuing him, yeah. we then get a four-week interlude of who knows what. Chuck's off to be re- rehabilitated. Okay, I guess. <laughs> but then he's, like, just very subdued as yeah. a character. Like, when he's back, it's almost like he's post-PTSD, which is fine. It's only been a mm-hmm. month. I understand it. But then if that's the case, flash forward further or, or something. Like give me give me something I want to watch. Yep. Either it be him in dire straits when he get, when he's getting back and his friends and family are like there and trying to help him and so excited mm-hmm. to see him back and we get that element of it. Or give me flash forward to where he's rehabilitated and I see his life now. Um but this was just like the worst part of it for me to to, yeah. to witness. Like we get after a month, we get a, a a scene of him, I think on a plane <laughs> talking yeah. to his friend, which damn, I would not want to go back on a plane maybe ever again. And he's like <laughs> right back on the fucking oars. Like, mm-hmm. I guess he's like, if I get lost again, I know what the fuck to do. I'm fine. <laughs> he's just living with that kind yeah, of, do you want to you know. stay on a boat again as the boat delivers you to America? Or do you want to take the quick four hour flight and risk it? I don't know. I'll take the boat. I mean, he wasn't really wronged by boats. It seemed, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, boats are his savior. Yeah, so so we get this conversation, and the friend lets him know, like, hey, things are way different. You're <laughs> legally dead, which mm-hmm. is a whole – I know it's a clusterfuck of a situation. Not personally. Yeah. I've never legally been dead, but it's not easy. If you're legally pronounced dead to, to get your name back and your Social Security stuff, like that, that's going to be a headache that I thought about immediately when he brought that up. I'm like, okay, I guess that's where they want my head to go. Cause like, why are you bringing up that? He's legally, I, uh, duh, he's legally, he's been gone <laughs> five years. I don't need to hear this conversation, but then he gets into the details of how he had a, a, um, funeral. Mm-hmm. And do you remember what, what he said? They busy. It was like Hank's ass. Oh, what, why'd you have a casket? Like what'd yeah. you put in it? And the friend, do you remember what the friend said? Well, he, they say that a bunch of them threw in like peeper, uh, peepers, uh, pagers and beepers, <laughs> the old peepers situation. And then pagers and beepers. <laughs> that is a bad indictment on you as a person. Oh, I mean, that's not a foul. It's just harsh. Yeah. That's, that's like, harsh. that's add that to the ouchie list of this yeah. is what your friends remembered you as being a workaholic. 
Ow. That's, oh, don't in, tell I me that. Calendar. God damn. Like, like a bunch of pocket watches that's got in there. Like, that's it seems like. I don't want to know. If my, if my funeral was that depressing mm-hmm. and that was what people – those are the tokens they thought I would most re- like respect in my casket. I'm like, oh man, I've lived a terrible life. Yeah. That's awful. But at least you have Elvis uh, CDs in there to also keep you company. Yeah, so a little bit of Elvis good. music. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so then we learn, and this is, I don't, hmm. I, I don't mind that Kelly's moved on. That makes sense. Like no. I'm not sitting yeah. here like, oh, she's a woman that should have stood by her man for however long she didn't know for sure he was dead. Mm. Like, I get it. Move on, have a family. That's fine. But this feels like why they, the connective tissue here was that she never married him. Mm-hmm. She never had kids with Chuck. Therefore there was nothing that would have kept her from finding somebody else and starting mm-hmm. a family and doing all those things, which is why they went ahead and did it here in the fourth quarter the issue for me was the payoff was I, the way I took it was now they're both just like, they hate their lives. Like him coming yeah. back was like Kelly realizing now she's not necessarily in a loveless marriage, but not in a marriage with the person she wants to be mm-hmm. with. And also we get Chuck who's now realizing that my decision to prioritize work has resulted in not only my devastation of not having the family I wanted, but also the person I love being trapped in this relationship that mm-hmm. probably they don't want to be in. But that's when you throw in the element of the kid and that makes it so, oh, she can't leave really. Ugh. Like if it's just like, oh, I realize now that the person I loved is back. Maybe Gary, her new husband would have understood that and been like, I get it. It was weird circumstances. Like he's back. You can go be with him. But now, there's no dice that like you can't do that. And it's just like a weird choice. Cause like that was all crafted by the filmmakers to make that yeah. be the reality. And it just felt like it's not satisfying. I didn't, I didn't like it. And even like the, the, the messaging that's getting across of like, you never know what's going to happen. Like the tide, mm-hmm. you never know what the tide's going to bring in type of element is like, I get maybe that ties into that a little bit, but I just wish, the movie chose a different route as to what its messaging ultimately was. Cause it didn't, it didn't land on me at all. It felt like a complete miss. Yeah. Well, first we had our first uh, parks and rec reference there with your uh, Gary instead of Jerry. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's the same name, <laughs> Gary, Jerry, whatever your character is. It, Larry, you don't mean anything to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I think honestly, when I was younger, like watching this, the, you know, the first go around, I, I think I probably was, oh, well, that's I guess that's mature. Like they realize that they can't be with each other because she is married and has a kid. But now watching this at, at where I'm at in my life, I'm like, no, that relationship is doomed. Like, doomed doomed like that poor dentist just got his life fucked up because yeah. he, the the person that he kind of secretly hoped was dead did wasn't actually dead and has now <laughs> come back to ruin his life <laughs> <laughs> when like she so we get to the the we, we glossed over the fedex celebratory party that he's back which like <laughs> yeah. what why is fedex holding this sort of like comeback party for him one he's definitely not going to work for them ever again i don't know I imagine you hope that he's he, well he, it's probably like don't sue us like hey here's some here's some free crab legs plane crash i mean you gotta sue it's america like he would live <laughs> for he lived five five years on a plane he at least he's gonna want his salary for those five years probably like you probably have to sue just to get money so that you can get your life back you know what i mean 
See, the way That's my American, mind works, baby. I was thinking opposite. I'm thinking <laughs> that FedEx and and or the insurance companies be trying to get that life insurance policy back. Be like, hey, you're gonna have to return return to sender on that on that bill bag we gave you because <laughs> who got that? This dude's alive. I imagine see Kelly any Chuck's family. How she's they're not married. We never do. We see any. We of don't Chuck's have to be family? married to be on the on the list of who your money goes to. I mean, sure, but they weren't even engaged. That's pretty. That's a pretty that's big true. step to be on like someone's life insurance policy when you're not even engaged at that point. Yeah, it really does feel like Chuck <laughs> is on his own. Like it's really yeah. just his one friend whose wife did die, which I'm glad yeah. we we got to the oh you're glad the resolution that, of that story. Not glad that she's dead. I'm glad that we figured out if she made it or not because that was yeah. like, it's such a weird. I don't care. I didn't care the first time he talked about it, and I don't care now. Like it was such a it, especially when this is a moment where where Hanks and, yeah. and his friend are reconnecting and and it goes dark again. And we're just like, yeah. oh, how's your wife? Is she alive? Like no, it's not. Like oh, I wish I was there to help you through it like, yeah oh, that's why you wish you were back not so you didn't spend five years on this island that's right? a bigger priority sorry your wife died but also my life still fucking sucks yeah i did like that we do we do get a hundred percent confirmation that hanks did in fact have a dentist named dr spaulding <laughs> that that was enjoyable it's another element to the movie i really wanted a, a connective <laughs> tissue with i wanted to see that happen um yeah. It, so also one thing I I never really understood. And this feels like they something was filmed and then they came back and had to film something different. So Helen Hunt actually does go to the FedEx place to potentially yeah. have her reunion. And either she gets so hysterical, she can't do it. Or the husband kind of shuts it down. Like it's kind of a little bit of limbo of what exactly yeah, is I happening. Felt a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah. But then Hanks just kind of shows up at her house and she is just cool as a cucumber. Yeah. Just welcome in. Let's look at my big table filled with articles about yeah. you. Like it was like she knew he was coming. It almost <laughs> felt like that. Yeah. And it, it, I'm not sure if you caught it, but I'm like, I'm not a Helen Hunt. Thing. I'm not like, I don't think she's particularly gorgeous or attractive. She's this guy. She's got a, an appeal. I'm sure to some, she's not mm -hmm. my type. But when she's wearing that like nightgown, mm -hmm. that's one of the more form fitting nightgown choices I think I've ever seen. Like there was yeah. some lady bumps showing up yeah. for those entire, like, I mean, they were accentuating it and it was distracting mm -hmm. to me. I'm not, yeah, I was like, Helen who to be distracted by Helen bam, she's packed <laughs> and she was showing it. Like that was a choice for either. Yeah. I'm 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 coming down to see Chuck and I want her to know, I want him to know what, what he's missing <laughs> mm -hmm. or like, that's just a you know a run of the mill outfit for her, and if that's the yeah. case, good on Gary. Or, yeah, yeah, or yeah, Gary. Come on now, Jerry. Wait, give some is respect. It Jerry or Gary? I feel like I said <laughs> Jerry the first time, and you gave me shit. No, it's Jerry. That's like, what I said this man. time. No, you said Gary. We're all the tape. Whatever, what? <laughs> Jerry. Um, but maybe, maybe just maybe Jerry was getting some. You know, maybe that that was like she was maybe. like so like I need to get this out of my system like. Well, What's your take on 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 Jerry not being there? Is he asleep? Didn't wake up, or is he like you go handle this? I'm gonna be in the in the bedroom. Again, I I the my both times watching this, I assume that they're they're so like they're not keeping their voices yeah. down. She's so, like, making I, drinks, or coffee, yeah. and they're talking loudly in their but living room. Yeah, which even with a kid, you think they would be a little bit quieter. But I I never get the impression that they are trying to like 
avoid being caught, but also not that they are saying something that they would like, they're almost always saying something in ways that if they were being overheard, I think yeah. that they have plausible deniability <laughs> until yeah. they get outside. So like, I think it's almost as if to me, we're supposed to envision that he's still sleeping and that like, maybe he might come down, but like, he doesn't know that she's downstairs is how Which I is ridiculous. think of it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially knowing that he just got back into town that day mm-hmm. and it's like oh mm-hmm. i wonder where she's at at two <laughs> o'clock in the morning that i mean whatever. I, I can i can pull team. back i can pull back the curtain just think maybe that jerry is a cool it's like a cool husband it's like okay i know you have unresolved baggage like you go have your time with him <laughs> and like this come back to me like that's kind of the the mindset i, I had or i i, I chose to, t- to take but it's just strange it's just like I'm not calling a foul. It just took yeah. me out of the scene a little bit. It made me keep thinking, like, where is he? Where is he? She's not saying that he knows that she's out here talking. Mm-hmm. And it distracted which, me a little bit. Which, again, as a married person, like, first of all, if, like, if there was just an ex that my wife was just like, oh, yeah, he came back. <laughs> I thought he was dead. Like, we're just going to have a go quick conversation. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, but no, then, no. It, But then if I had learned that, like, we had been keeping his car and then that she just gave it to him. I'm like, okay, well, Oh, yeah. this is, That's a good this point. is like, like, do we have the pink slip? What happened with this? <laughs> we well, the issue I have is like, it's been four or five years. Okay. Yeah. But that's a perfectly good car. Like you don't just yeah. like get rid of, you don't get rid of all of his possessions because he's dead. You just like, Oh, he's dead. He's not going to use this car. We might as well continue to, eat. I don't know. It was, it wasn't mm. strange. He was like blown away. That mm-hmm. she still had the car. Like, you kept it after all this time, after four <laughs> long years? Yeah, it's a car. It still works. I'm not going to burn it because you died. Yeah, I drive my kid in it every day. Yeah, and then she had her baby seat in it. And he, yeah. she like, pulls it out, and he's like watching her do it. And it's like, mm-hmm. I would have been like, you know what? You keep the car for a bit. Yeah. I got all this FedEx money rolling in. Let me, <laughs> let me upgrade a little bit. I, I hope FedEx is doing them right. They better. I mean, they're still in the gift. They just like, hey, let's not throw this gala party that costs a hundred mm-hmm. grand to do. Let's just give him a hundred grand. That would have yeah. been way more solid. I don't need. A, he didn't enjoy it. It's not for him. No. That's for FedEx. That's FedEx no. being like, hey, look how we treat our own. Mm-hmm. And that meanwhile, Chuck's like in the in the room with nobody else and not enjoying it. Like, just give yeah. him the money. Can we can we call a foul on the one? I don't know like how he's involved with Chuck and like if he's a business partner at FedEx or what. But where he immediately like leaves the room, like as they're all leaving the room, and like someone like, "Hey, tomorrow we're gonna get your identity back." And the guy's like, "Hey, buddy, one of these days we gotta go out there and test your fishing skills." I'm like, "You are a son of a bitch." Not make jokes. Come on, this is not fishing time. Jokes. You know where I was for the last four years. That's why we're here. You know I was on an island. Stop. Well, it's the same thing. It's like when they're when they when they show the the assortment of food they got mm-hmm. for the party. It's all like seafood. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, maybe he doesn't want seafood. Like, maybe let's go with some lasagna. Let's 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 yeah. broaden the horizons a little bit. You know who doesn't do that kind of stuff? UPS. They don't pull that kind of juvenile yeah. stuff. You know, yeah. they they know what U- they're doing. Yeah, UPS <laughs> is is here for what matters. <laughs> <laughs> the brown. That's what yeah. matters. <laughs> So going back to the the reunion of yeah. Hanks and 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 Helen Hunt, this mm-hmm. we do get the football that was that was def- that was part of the Finally. kitchen, and it was exactly what I remembered word for word. <laughs> so like nothing else surprising coming up there, uh, not a posterizer, <laughs> but <laughs> weird, definitely weird. It shows like they were to, they were unable to get back into their rhythm of being a couple, so they go into mm-hmm. like small talk. 
which yep. is really what that's showing, which is fine. I, I don't mind like having a little bit of that awkward stage because clearly mm-hmm. they're not really a couple anymore, but that's the last time they knew each other as, as a couple. So like, I get that. That, that was yeah. pretty successful in showing that, but, and then we get the transition to the car scene and then they're out and he, he's, he's going to leave and then yep. they, they run after each other and then they start like making out hard. And it was not a good <laughs> kind of make out. It was like face contact. <laughs> they were hitting each other with their mouths. Like it was. How do you make damn. out? What are you doing out there? You I'm not like sucking air out of the stomach. It's just like they were looking like they were trying to force entry into each other. And I didn't like it. I didn't like that. It felt like a boomer make out idea like oh they love each other so much that all they can do is squeeze their faces together and not get any pleasure from this like that's not a good kiss but also like why are the they kissing? Like, it was so it was such a bait and switch of of mm-hmm. their relationship stuff where it's like that didn't have any sort of closure i i doubt for either of them didn't mm-hmm. have closure for us as an audience it, it made me leave, leave that dynamic feeling like there's something wrong with her relationship and he's not going to be able to recover from this and that's mm-hmm. not what this movie ultimately is about although it is setting him up him up for that the the monologue at the end where he's just like you never know what's going to happen in life mm-hmm. you just got to take it as it comes which is fine if that's what the movie was about mm-hmm. but it wasn't about that it wasn't the beginning of that wasn't about him just taking what came because if that's the case that kind of excuses him going to malaysia i'm like you never know what's going to happen there's a rainstorm and people need help in Malaysia to get packages sorted. I got to go. It's my calling. And it's like, doesn't that kind of go hand in hand with what he's saying at the end? Or yeah. is, am I missing something? It, it just felt like the, the, the emotional impact that they attempted at the end was completely misguided. And it, it almost hurts to have the biggest emotional expenditure of the movie being when he loses Wilson. Mm-hmm. Because that's clearly when he's most traumatized and us as the audience is most traumatized and you're saving these reunion scenes that are also calling upon emotional impact and they just aren't even coming close to losing wilson yeah and you know what one thing that i was just thinking about is this movie is completely different than the other ones we've done so far in this and that the other ones the highlights have been the first and fourth quarters that they started out really strong. You know, you think of Emperor's New yeah. Groove, it has the, you know, the most sizzle reels in that first quarter. You think of even some of like scary movies, got some really good things in that first quarter. And then that fourth quarter, it's got the movie scene and things like that. This movie lives in the second and third quarter. You could oh, yeah. lop off the first quarter. You could lop off the fourth quarter for you me. Really could. And, and this movie becomes maybe more poignant because it's not focusing on things it doesn't need to be doing and becomes more of just that maybe a short almost silent movie about survival that would be more interesting than what the first and fourth quarter are doing. And this movie becomes a movie that has 18 endings because like everything in the fourth quarter feels like it's a fake out ending. It's like (laughs) they go and they don't make out or they don't make up ending. He, you know, he starts driving away. Okay. That's going to be the ending. Nope. We get the notebook make out scene makeup or, you know, we we still love each other, but we're going to just not be together. Okay, fine. And, and movie. Nope. Then we got the monologue (laughs) scene. Okay, fine. And movie. Nope. And then, yeah. What do you got? Well, I was going to say, you can, if you started this movie at the plane crash and finished Mm -hmm. when he first, right before he sees the whale, I think you got a a great movie. 
Yeah. You got probably an hour 20 of very well shot, well acted, well paced survivor movie. When you mm-hmm. throw in the romantic elements that's going on in the first and fourth quarter, you dilute that and you make me not want to watch it again because it's so long and it's just, it's, there's so much that's completely cuttable that mm-hmm. it, 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 it loses a lot of what it did best. Um, yep. But going now to the, the culminating part. So we did pass over that. Do you think that's a, a posterizer or is that more of a scissor reel when he's giving his monologue? Does it qualify for either? Cause I do like the monologue. If you detach it from not really being relevant to the movie, other than like <laughs> Bakersfield, like if it's like a literally Bakersfield Porter potty coming on shore, you never know mm-hmm. what to expect like that callback. Okay. It's relevant to that, but the majority of the mental progress and trials he was going through wasn't about taking things as they came. Yeah. Um, I would say maybe the posterizer of just the, yeah, yeah. Just, just keep breathing as like also like a, you know, precursor to keep, just keep swimming. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that's the human equivalent to the fish. Just keep swimming. Exactly. That's the only thing I can think of in the fourth quarter that I would, I would really put it as a posterizer. Everything else. Again, I, I feel like they were hoping that, I, I've I've always loved you or whatever she says to him. I think they were hoping that would be a posterizer from this, like the declaration of I, I will always love you or I I have always loved you, but like still having to walk away, like that kind of pain. But yeah, it's like, no, you just survived being on an island for five years. We have not seen the emotional heft to have this land an emotional punch. And then for you to just seemingly be okay delivering a package, which... FedEx is just okay with you keeping that package. Well, yeah, FedEx at this point has, has said all the packages on that plane you're not getting back. <laughs> like they, they probably sent out memos like due to due to unforeseen <laughs> circumstances, your packages are gone. <laughs> they go. But yeah, we. This is another aspect of the movie which I, I don't have much emotional ties to what's in the box, but I would like mm. to have known. I would like to have had the the payoff as to what is in it, but I do understand what they're, what they're saying and that it doesn't matter. He wasn't delivering it because of the contents of the box were important to him or to who was receiving them, but because that was the symbolic quest or the, the, the purpose that he put upon his mission. Like I wanted to stay alive so I could deliver this package back mm-hmm. to the States. And that's why I, my goal is staying focused on getting back to the States cool that's really the only device that that package really ended up having there there wasn't like any any sort of specialness of that other than it being very specific that that is what he was thinking which i think we could kind of infer and there was a lot of stuff that we ended up having to infer that wasn't explained to us that that was more ambiguous than that that seemed Mm -hmm. pretty straightforward what they were doing with with that box being left unopened on the island so this is this kind of felt unnecessary as did his explanation of the suicide. Like, yeah, yeah. Was that, um, was that ambiguous that that's, that's what you were doing with <laughs> exactly, that? Like, yeah, yeah we, that was of course what the rope was for, but okay. Like, I guess it's interesting to explain that. But again, this comes to my theory of, I don't think he tells anybody about Wilson. Cause like, how, well, I get, okay, fine. If I can't tell anybody about Wilson, cause you're embarrassed. <laughs> how are you not telling anyone about the spirit whale about this fucking uh, whale? Yeah. Saved my life three times. No, I'm no dedicating my life to whale preservations. Like, yeah, these are wise <laughs> creatures. These are wise, yeah, noble are. animals. 
Yeah. And no, no, no shout outs, which God, I hate it. I hate those, those fucking whales. <laughs> I'm giving I hope a that one of them chokes on Wilson. I'm, I'm, I'm heated. I'm heated because of the whales and I'm fouling the kiss. It was too Woo! intense of a kiss. Another foul. Right. And my whistle's still there. I'm just like, I'm ready to go. Does she tell Jerry about that kiss? I doubt it. Jerry's Jerry's a saint in comparison to what Helen Hunt's been doing to him since right. Chuck came back. First and only time I've ever felt bad for a dentist. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anything else that you want to? I mean, again, fourth quarter ends with him delivering the package. What again? Why make the decision of her not being there when we're just going to end up talking to her on the road? Like again, it's just was it her? It had like she has the same thing on the, and I'm pretty sure it's the same girl that we see in the very very first quarter. Like we see her being talked to by one of the FedEx delivery drivers. Uh, yeah, that's talk I'm about pretty a sure non memorable scene. There's there's yeah. one at the top of the list who was talking to the FedEx agent up front. I don't know, maybe it was her. I guess. Right. I I think because like the I think with I mean having to call back far deep into this movie now I'm pretty <laughs> from my recollection that that scene was showing like. Someone sending divorce papers to to her husband, and it might have been was that her or sending papers to her husband. I that's what I, don't I, I don't know. So. I, I inferred too much from that because I didn't really know what was going on. So I just I probably made my own reality. Yeah, I think I think it was just he was delivering the unopened package back to that ranch. He then gets to like a stopping point where you're like, oh, where is he gonna go? He talk, you know, the lady gives him kind of directions. She drives away. You see that she has the same exact painting that was on the FedEx yeah. package on the back of her truck, and then you kind of see him smile, which makes you might believe that is he thinking like, oh, it's fate that she wasn't there, or is it is he going to go and actually go back and talk to her? Like, is yeah. that the start of a relationship? Like, because he's, he's at a literal crossroads, and then yes. she's pointing out all the different directions he can go. Yep. in life basically mm-hmm. and it's kind of insinuated that he's gonna go drive after her and she's heading towards canada i think i mean this is the original inception it's like you know what happens you know <laughs> yeah i don't care i guess that's part of the issue is that is they weren't building that up to be something like where he wasn't planning or at least from our perspective planning on what his life was going to be like when he got back and, mm-hmm. and we just really didn't have anything to expect so it's just kind of watching him make choices and then we weren't really privy to the logic he was making these choices with other than that one monologue that kind of insinuates that he had he had made a, a pretty big change on his perspective other than that there really wasn't anything else that we were rooting for or at least like wanting yeah. to see because the only thing that, that that was built up was his relationship with kelly and that was rough like quickly pulled from under us and now we really didn't have anywhere to go and it just felt like a lot of, like you were saying, like fake endings could have been an ending and just like extending it more than they needed to. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's, that, yeah. that, that is the end that we've, we've talked about all of these scenes. Um, really, even though I was disappointed in, in, in all the scenes going on in the fourth quarter, I think my, it has almost an effect because you're ending the movie on such a sour note. It spoils a lot of my, opinions of the movie which could have been very high had it ended with the third quarter and the higher aspects yeah. of the third quarter because that that was a really good movie and if it would have that was the lingering impression i'm sure my 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 final take on the movie and my likelihood of recommending it would be different because 
I wouldn't want to recommend anyone watch the fourth quarter or really not much of the first quarter other than the, the plane <laughs> crash. If that's where you want to, if you want to call that the first quarter, yeah. um, definitely I would recommend that, but mm-hmm. there's nothing in the fourth quarter I would recommend and not much in the first. Yeah. And I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm ready to get into the post game show, not just to talk and, and see where we both have this as our kind of overall grade. And since we know this one is going to go up against Emperor's new groove, that will give us the opportunity to actually see where the home court advantage is going to lie, which movie ends up having the higher overall rating. Uh, but I'm also, I need to get your official OMG a thought on a question that I have going into the rating process. So oh, if wow. you're, yeah, if you're all good with the fourth quarter, I, I'm ready to get into the post game show. All right, let's wrap it up and uh, we'll see you on the other side. We are at the final stage of our castaway review. We are in the post game show. All the film is in the books. We have seen it. We have talked about it. We are ready for final thoughts, overall grades, and a matchup preview. Let's go ahead and get started. What is your final take of Castaway, Mike? So, yeah, we've we've talked a lot in the overall review about our talks, our thinkings about each individual quarter. And I think that those kind of are my thoughts of the movie itself is the first quarter is it's a lot of setup. It's it's got some things done well. But this movie, I think my overall thoughts as thinking about it is it's a lot of great components that do not add up to a great movie. It's well shot. It's well acted. It's got a good plot, but it feels like there's four different themes that were trying to be communicated. And because each of them has like almost an equal amount of screen time in terms of survivalism, love story, you know, all of these different things that are going into play, it really takes away from the impact that one individual scene might have. Mm-hmm. when I don't really care about what's really going to happen. So that's kind of my, my thoughts as I'm looking at uh, where I'm going to put this one in my, in my ratings. Yeah. And it makes sense to me now after after a rewatch as to where my mindset was in the pregame show and also obviously after having watched it the first time where there's a lot of elements to this movie that make it very memorable, that make it mm-hmm. a recommendable movie. And if you're only talking about the scissor reel and the posterizer and the cast, maybe you do end up taking away a much favorable view of this movie. Um, but as a whole, it's not a cohesive film. It's mm-hmm. not a great story. It's not a very entertaining story outside of the performance aspect and some of the visuals and the uniqueness of the, of the movie itself. If you look past, or if you look through those elements a little bit, the foundation that they lie upon just isn't quite there. It's not enough for me to recommend this movie to someone that's not a fan of Hanks, not a fan mm-hmm. of dramas or, or like not necessarily a period film, but it has the aspects of, of a genre specific film because it is so much of a survival story. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reasons why I feel like people wouldn't want to watch this movie. And if they've seen it, I doubt they really want to watch it again actively or very recently after having seen it. 
and and that weighs pretty heavily into my re, in my overall grade of a movie. It's not necessarily the, the entireness, the the totality of the review, but it has a a a lingering bad taste that will be reflected in my review. I will say that. Yes, and I think I'm kind of ready to, to kind of get into where I actually am going to and put this into my ratings. Unless unless you have anything else you want to add. No, I, I think we've we've talked at length about the the things we like and don't like. I think we're ready to get into our numeric grade of Castaway. All right, and so here is where I kind of teased a little bit. I have I have a question that I need to get your official uh, opinion on. Let's let's get the gavel ready. We're ready to make a ruling. Yes, yes. Going in, you know, I think one of the things that I really like to do when I'm doing my ratings is I like to look and try and compare how well do I think this movie holds up against something that's similar, right? Similar uh-huh. in the gen, you know the kind of movie it is, right? So I'm looking at this and I'm looking at all the movies that I've that I've that I've kind of done my ratings for, and I'm looking. All right, this is a drama. Well, what other drama have I watched recently? Well. Oh, Brother, We're Out There kind of jumps to me as a drama that I've seen recently. And I'm looking at where I put Oh, Brother, We're Out There. And I'm like, wow, I put it, you know, high 50s. Is this that different than Castaway in terms of a, a drama that's got some, you know, fouls, in my opinion, of how the story is being told? And what I what I jump to the conclusion of is, no, I don't think it's that different. However, on this second review of my own review, I would like your <laughs> official MG approval stamp of approval for me to lower my rating from of Oh Brother We're Out There from my initial 58 down to a 52. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I will say I'm going to have to. It doesn't impact I'm the first to parse bracket. I this check. a little bit. Well, I'm going to have to parse through it a little bit. Okay. I will say if we're talking about an eliminated movie. Yep. I will allow a retroactive grade change. Okay. With the caveat that it is no longer in competition. Okay. And can no longer affect the aggregate score going in to an award ceremony showdown. So So that being the case, well, Oh Brother has been eliminated. No, has been has not been eliminated because it's it's blunt. Yeah, it's beaten. Scary movie. Yeah. So. Yeah, you can't. I won't allow a change because yeah. that that would that would affect its aggregate score going into its next match, and that feels a little bit like sabotage. Okay, well, just just know it's out there, and know as soon as we're done with uh, with watching Memento, just clean the floor with O Brother. Based, we'll on- see. I mean, that's that's the kind of mindset I want to avoid here. It seems like you've already made decisions, and that's not right. That's that sounds like you know, maybe you're getting some under the under the table payouts from Mr. Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but hey, you know I mean, that's, it's, that's it's not a proper officiating right mindset. You gotta, you gotta. Anybody, keep... anybody that wants to pay me for my opinion, I'm open <laughs> to the discussion. We'll see what happens. I gotta, I gotta but, rethink. Right. I gotta find another an alternate MG here who's who's more, who's <laughs> less partial. Too bad we only have KGs coming up. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Um, but uh, yeah, when it comes to where I'm gonna put this one, then. The only other movie that really comes to mind, you know, that we've watched that it's in the same ballpark of it's definitely not something I'm going to recommend actively to people, but something that I would consider to be a good movie. It's above the 40 threshold is scary movie. Right. And that one I put as a 46. So then I got to ask myself again, it's hard to compare comedies, especially parodies against a dramatic movie like Castaway. But I got to ask myself, you know, where am I going to put it in relation? And 
I couldn't, I couldn't put myself to put Castaway below Scary Movie. It had to oh, be higher. A, a collective a, sigh can be heard going across the listeners right now. It's a better, it's a better, more well-made movie, but it is more significantly boring <laughs> for a longer stretch than anything in Scary Movie. Scary Movie it's never is offensive. Something. It's truly never as offensive. Nothing. <laughs> I, what, I don't know what is going to be as offensive in Scary Movie. We will see. But in terms of just watching it and having some enjoyment, if if you were telling me, hey, there is a someone who is a fan of comedic parody movies who's never seen Scary Movie, or someone who's a fan of Tom Hanks or like a Survivor movie who's never seen Castaway, which would you rather watch with that person? It's it, probably is going to be a scary movie to be honest, but I think Castaway is the more well-made movie. However, not by much. So my official rating for Castaway is going to be a 47. Wow. Wow. That is, that's crazy. So we've talked about in the (laughs) pregame show, what, what reviews we were looking at going into this movie. And we had Rotten Tomatoes at an 88 yeah. And we had IMDb at a 7.8. And we got MG. Mike MG here <laughs> at a 47. That is a crippling, a crippling number. And I, and and what was your grade for Emperor's New Groove? Uh 80 no sorry, not 80, uh, 74. 74. 74. And you feel like that's that's an appropriate difference That's an appropriate movies. difference. Yes, I a good 20 to 30 point difference between this movies is appropriate. Yes. Wow. What's well, not appropriate is a over 10 difference between this and Oh Brother We're Out There, which is why I want to decrease Oh Brother to nuts. get it more that's in line. Just, it but just shows how, how we'll wildly inaccurate your own grading system is. <laughs> um, yeah, well. I will be giving it a higher grade than 47. Yeah, yeah, it sounds um, like it. So when way to way to way to appease the masses. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not going to be that high, but I mean, I I am taking into account a lot of what this movie does exceptionally well, which is have one of the best acting performances of a decade yeah, in it. Yeah, it's got great direction. It's got some iconic moments that I remember far far more than I remember anything from Oh Brother, and and more than I remember anything from Scary Movie. Uh, it's got cultural relevancy. It's, it's a lot of good. There's a lot of good in this movie. There's a reason why it's a favorite of many people. The downsides of it are that it is boring. It is too long. And it has two quarters of it that could be cut and replaced. And I think most would say it's a better movie. Um, but, good so far. <laughs> but, I mean, that's taking it away from being a recommendable movie. I won't put it in mm-hmm. the 70s. Because I don't feel like this is one I will actively recommend to really anybody without a lot of reservations. It would need to be the right type of person. They would, um, I would need to clarify the parts of the movie that I am recommending. And I do feel like mm-hmm. I would recommend anybody listening now to watch that plane crash scene. I think that's that's mm-hmm. one of the best scenes that we've watched so far in any of the films that we've watched so far. Uh I, I love the scene of, of him leaving the island with Wilson. I think that's an, ex- an exceptionally well-directed and shot scene. But the narrative side of, of things take it down. And and it's for me, it's pretty close to where I, I ranked Oh Brother. And I think Oh Brother has with it a, a better start-to-finish movie. I think it it's, has less um, 
highs, less lows. It's more just good throughout and mm-hmm. Castaway being one that peaks and valleys quite often. But it, it results in an overall pretty similar score. I, I'll put Castaway at a 67. A 67. All 67. right. Well, it's, a, it's a little bit under a, a very recommendable movie. It's, in my mind, a good movie. It's one that I, I do think is going to be, if I rewatched the majority of movies in the 2000 year, would be in the top 12 of it. I, I don't think there's 12 movies that we're going to find from a given year that are going to be 67 and higher. But mm-hmm. this one, it, I think it, it it has enough. It has it did enough for me. I really did enjoy the second quarter. I enjoyed the first half of the third quarter a lot. And that's enough for me to be uh, in that range. But I could I, I understand where you're coming from because a lot of the pitfalls for me were stuff that I was able to overcome because of how much I enjoyed the other parts of it. But yeah, I mean, there's mm-hmm. no, no real qualms. I think you're definitely lower than I think is deserved for this movie, but I get it. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. So now is where we get to do everyone's favorite segment, a little mental math. So mental math. We got to have our own, our, our own segment for mental math. A little Just number for you, that comes buddy. In. Here you go. I have my calculator up. Let's see if you can do a little mental math with Are your you host. Challenging math. me. Yeah. I'm challenging. Oh you. my, well, we're not so, going to be too much of a delay of me having to think, but no, you gave you it a 47. To- I gave it a 47. You gave it a 67. Okay, this so, is an easy one. I can split yeah. the difference on that one. We got a 57 aggregate. Got, look at you. You are on top of things. Congratulations. You give me that type of math problem. It makes me, it's going to amp my ego up. Yep. I'm going to get too and big now, for my britches. Here is where it gets interesting. Emperor's new groove between us was a 73 and a half. Okay. Yeah. And now we have a 57 of Castaway between oh, us. What the is issue is the having to divide the half down. Yeah, that's going to be tough. What is, is it, the home field advantage? I believe the whole, the, the full number here. You got 16 and a quarter. 16.25. It's a half. Still? half. Yeah. Because it's okay. just minus. It's not. There's no more division. Jesus. Well, that Look was too suspenseful for me. I'm gonna need a. <laughs> I'm gonna need a cocktail to to wind myself down. I'm all amped up. I'm that talking was, about PTSD. I'm getting PTSD ooh, right now for that math. Was, that was mental math with math. Oh, thanks no, for thanks. playing. <laughs> I don't enjoy the the creation of these segments that involve any sort of on the spot arithmetic. That's again not an arithmetic based podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's just tough stuff to have to deal with. But uh, so that, I mean, again, it's a pretty high home field advantage for Emperor's New Groove going into the, the showdown. Well, it just uh, shows we... it shows the difference of, of doing this as an aggregate system, because for me, yeah. these two movies are, are pretty close. I mean, you're, you're looking at um, from my grade, I gave it a 73. So it's a six point difference. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't even try and get close to where I would have that in my math. Hold on. There's a 27 point difference for yeah, me. That's nuts. That's nuts. That's going to be one you're going to wake up one day in the middle of the night and be like, oh my God, what have I done? 47 for Castaway? Only if I get get on a deserted island will I have enough time to think about how how I may have mislabeled that one. (laughs) Yeah, but then you're going to be really thinking your lucky stars that you watched it twice. Yep. Yeah, I'll know know to make sure to tie my shoes real, real careful. Yeah. (laughs) So that that being said, we have a, a, a very large home field advantage, but that's a small amount of points yeah. that, that, that are going to be uh, making up the overall score between Emperor's New Groove and Castaway. So there's mm-hmm. 16 and a half points given out already. 
which we have to bring back the math segment now. So we, we so have we get three and a half extra. They're going to go to the intangible section. Yeah. So, so that leaves us with a total of 83 and a half points left. Yes. Yep. So a huge, a huge amount of games still to be played. Um, clearly we have an advantage for new, for Emperor's new groove, but that does not mean well, Castaway is going to lose this match. It, it definitely. Oh, it's going to have a, when I mean, you're looking at MVP, looking yeah. at six man, scissor reel, Mm-hmm. Those are some strong categories for Castaway, depending on who wins those, which we that's the next episode will be the award show for Castaway to determine who is going to be representing Castaway in all those various categories. Mm-hmm. But this is not an open and shut case by any means. I think we might have some bitter disagreements uh, to come on this matchup. So lot to, yeah, I, I can already sense that we're going to have at least one uh, category where, where the possession arrow is going to have to get used. And who's got the possession arrow? That would be you. That would be a good old Matt. Dirty, Matt dirty is scoundrel. the proud, proud holder of <laughs> possession arrow. Um, definitely check out the Castaway Category Award episode where all of this drama will unfold. We will see how two people who have very different takes on a movie uh, mm-hmm. go ahead and debate what are the best aspects of that movie. So uh, it's it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Is, is there anything else to, to wrap this episode up that you wanted to get to? No, you know, we enjoyed watching it as a, you know, again, lower score for me than I was hoping for. I hope to enjoy this movie more, but enjoyed the watching experience with you. And hopefully everyone out there enjoyed watching with us and listening. So uh, we'll be watching. Yeah. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Meth. And I'm Mike. And we'll see you next time. Have a good one.